Protect your kneecaps and shins. It's Charles Band's wet dream. Tiny terrors on this episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Attention planet Earth and beyond. Stay tuned for Attack of the Killer What is up, everyone? Welcome to another super-duper episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. I am your gatekeeper, Insane Mike, and this episode is going to be a short one, because we're talking about Tiny Terrors, movie monsters that are itty-bitty. They are vicious, but they're also kind of cute. Starting off, Attack of the Killer Podcast is a proud member of the Phantom Podcast Network. The Phantom Podcast Network is a great, great website for horror fans. The site features several horror-themed podcasts, just like us. So if you just go to downrightcreepy.com backslash phantom, and you can check out the various shows. Now, if you're coming from the website and you're listening to us for the very first time, um, because your New Year's resolution was to be a better person, <laughs> I'll explain what goes on around here. Attack of the Killer podcast is a show where a group of friends get together, discuss horror films within a certain topic... And it's a free-for-all conversation where anything can happen. Anything! Including... (gasps) Spoilers! So be warned. So... (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, I'm just remembering that really funny thing that happened on the last bonus episode. And wasn't that hilarious, guys? Come oh on. yeah! Oh, <laughs> so good! Oh Funny. man! Funny! <laughs> oh, oh! So everyone out there um, who doesn't know what I'm talking about, you too can be in all the in on all the amazing inside jokes. Just go to our Patreon at patreon.com/backslashaotkp and donate today to be in the in crowd. You don't have to pretend to inhale when we pass you a joint just to prove that you're cool. Just go to <laughs> patreon.com backslash AOTKP and you can get many amazing perks for donating, like bonus episodes. So check out the different tiers today. Go ahead. We'll wait. Well, they could probably do that while listening, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Right. So I'll move on. While we're waiting, it's time to introduce you to the podcast crew. She tried killing a dwarf vampire, but the stakes were too high. Terry Turford, everyone. Okay. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Short and sweet. Uh, he felt really bad after insulting Chucky, the leprechaun, and the ginger dead man. He never thought he'd stoop so low. Tad Good. Hello. <laughs> he switched to downloading midget porn because he thought it would take only half the bandwidth. Brian Clark, everybody. <laughs> there is no insult too low for the ginger dead man. Fuck that. <laughs> exactly. To him, every every movie monster is a tiny terror. Jason Bollinger. Hey, I'm tall. Hey, everybody. <laughs> he used to work for a midget psychic named Ann Large. 
The name of the place was called Small, Medium, and Large. Matt Foy, everyone! <laughs> I will be your tiny dancer and your sinful dwarf tonight, everyone. <laughs> oh, how's everybody doing? Damn, how did Sinful Dwarf not make it on the list for this episode? <laughs> I'm guessing there's a reason. <laughs> uh, maybe you'll find out later. He'll get his own commentary track. Oh, yes. Well, that'd be awesome. totally should do that. (laughs) That would be awesome. So, before we get into the actual topic, let's have some killer news. Now it's time for Killer News. Ripped straight from the headlines on attack of the Killer Podcast. If only there was some relatable news topic that maybe like, Brian could talk about or something. Like the Critters TV show, and I was stalling for time <laughs> to bring up the article, so... Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Well, they did start filming and other different things. They started filming the new Halloween movie. Yeah, that's officially started, hadn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So that's cool. They got a whole bunch of cast announced for it, which I don't really rec. I mean, obviously the the kids are all unknowns, which is good in my opinion. I like yes. when they yep. they do that. So, um, I'm I'm super psyched for it. It's probably my most anticipated movie of the year. What you mean they didn't cast Tom Cruise in it, and then they're gonna make the trailer all about Tom Cruise and not about Michael Myers and all? Uh, we I mean we have Jamie Lee Curtis, so we'll see what they do with that. But yeah. So, uh, Critters TV series. It's going to be made for Verizon. Is that weird? That's weird. Yeah, are you, only, are you only going to be able to watch it on your phone? <laughs> I don't not. know what that network is either. Yeah, Verizon's Go90. Go90. Go yeah. Well, they're, been, oh, they're so some, small, you know, you have to watch them on your phone. I feel I like guess. there's some Transformers uh, cartoons on Go90. What is uh, it? Well, that's that's right because they keep doing web series for the yep. toy lines, don't they? That have like that they don't get played on regular TV because yep. I hear people talking about them, but I've never seen them. So anyway, uh, it's being produced by Abominable Pictures and Blue Ribbon Content, which is some subsidiary or other of Warner Brothers, and it's being led by the creative team behind Zombievers, which just made me <laughs> all that much more excited about it because <laughs> Zombievers was really good. <laughs> Yeah, way better than it like, should have been. Yeah, and uh, Rupert Harvey and Barry Opper from the original uh, movie series are, are going to be producers on it, which makes me wonder, what happened to Don Opper, who played Charlie? Is he still alive? Because he was kind of the the driving force between or bef- behind the, the critters. After the first one, he was just in it. Mm-hmm. But then it seemed like he subsequently had more and more to do with each movie, like, you know, producer, writer, star, obviously. Was he in all four, though? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I couldn't uh, remember if he was in three or not. Yeah, he's in three, and then he gets, um, like, he falls into a cryopod or something, because the fourth one takes place in space, like, you know, many, many years into the future, mm-hmm. and he gets thawed out and just kind of a bumbling, goofy, hillbilly version of Ripley. Just can't get away from the fucking things. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I guess I'm going to have to figure out how to get this Go90 thing, unless they're ever going to put these out on DVD, because 
I really want to see more critters. Yeah. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. It's only going to be available on VHS. Oh. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. I have a VCR. <laughs> Do we know if Chiodo Brothers are... Wouldn't that be awesome? It didn't say. There was not a lot of information yeah. in that article. I think it's been announced so recently they don't really have a lot of... <coughs> I hope so. I'd hate for them to go all CGI with the critters. <clears throat> I wouldn't think they would. That seems like something that it would be way more practical budget-wise to do practically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that I mean, you, you can spend hundreds and thousands of man hours rendering all that fur yeah, and you know the lighting effects and that or you can cover a dodgeball with some naga hide and glue teeth <laughs> onto it <laughs> oh well <clears throat> well since we're there let's start with that with that film let's start with critters fine I won't tell you about the other cool monster thing then after we finish killer news so <laughs> please go ahead sorry I was just gonna no it's fine I, it's not a big deal I was just gonna say that I was hoping to talk about this um, you know before it was funded because this was a, a kickstarter thing but uh, it's been so long since we've done a regular episode with killer news that uh, but it got fully funded and then some uh, there's a new Japanese movie coming out called Howl from Beyond the Fog that is loosely based on Ray Bradbury's um, The Foghorn. And the Kickstarter was f- to bring back Keizo Mirase, who was a big deal special effects guy, you know, tokusatsu dude back in the day. He was probably best known for building the uh, Varan, the unbelievable suit. And okay. they kickstarted enough money to bring him in to build a full size. Uh, kaiju suit to use with their model cities and all the human characters are apparently going to be like Thunderbird style um, marionettes Whoa! so cool. the whole thing is going to be all puppets and models and special effects oh, that's awesome and no human characters yeah so the, the Blu-ray should come out sometime in 2019 I think they're going to start production on it this year so sweet alright this is Anybody else got any killer news? <laughs> sorry, sorry, I ruined your segue. <laughs> no, that's all right. I'm just gonna do it anyway. Let's talk about critters. <laughs> Terry, why don't you tell us about critters? Because I know you're a big critter fan. She has one even. I, mm-hmm. I do. Um, it's awesome. Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, well, basically, the premise is is that there's like this prison in space and the Krites, aka critters uh, steal a ship and escape to planet earth and end up in Kansas and um, these faceless bounty hunters are sent to earth to destroy or capture them basically and then shit happens. Thing gets things get blown up. Yeah. And such. People get chewed on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This movie is awesome. It's been a while since I had seen it, so I was really excited to go back and watch it again. My biggest takeaway is how young Lin Shay looks. Right? She's very young. 
I'd kind of forgotten. It'd been so long since I'd seen it. I think I had forgotten that she was that part. I mean, I recalled yeah. that character, but Forgetting I didn't that was have her, her face yeah. on it. Yeah. yeah. I forgot she was that young at one point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's just always been old. <laughs> but she's always been awesome. Yeah, yes. that's true. Always been awesome. I also forgot that Billy Zane is the weird boyfriend who gets killed. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> See, if he didn't put up such a fight, he'd have been done by then and might not have uh, got killed. Just a thought. Yeah. All I gotta say is power of the night. <laughs> yes! Oh my god. So, <laughs> that Dude. was the other thing. Uh, Johnny Steele slash also the bounty hunter uh, Gray that that actor is like he's like the dollar store version of uh, Tim Curry is what I <laughs> he totally like, is yeah. like the entire time I was watching it this time I'm like oh my god he looks <laughs> he's so much like him but so much more lame but yeah Terrence Mann is his name that's all I could think as I was watching it. Or it's like him, like he's a mixture of Tim Curry and like Hugh Laurie if yeah. if he was in, a, in an 80s hair metal band. like That's <laughs> that's a pretty good description. Yeah, I spent way too much time thinking about <laughs> what that guy looked like. <laughs> now I just really, really want a series of Black Adders set in the early 80s. Where Hugh Laurie's character is a cock rock singer yeah. instead of like a foppish noble. <laughs> Jason, do you have the soundtrack to the critters? I don't think so. Oh man, you need to look for that one. And if it has Power of the Night song on it, <laughs> he'll send it to you right away. Exactly. They just replay that song over and over and over again. And over and, and over. Yes. A couple times. <laughs> it's. It's worse than the Hungry Heifer jingle in part two. Oh my god. <laughs> as far as repetitiveness goes. Yeah, except that one is what gets stuck in your head. Like, you cannot get that jingle out of your head once it's in there. Which means it's I, a damn good jingle, and it's too bad that's not a real restaurant. Right? I know. <laughs> it's too bad. I think Critters is like the 437th film in my collection that has D. Wallace playing a mom. Yep. <laughs> no yeah. shit, right? Sure. And it's like the 100th where she's taking a kid's temperature and he's trying to skip out of school. <laughs> it's like, where have I seen this before? Oh yeah, every fucking 80s movie. But I'm not complaining. It's just like, geez, do you think she would ever get tired of doing that? It's like... <laughs> as long like, as the checks kept clearing the bank, I guess not. Yeah. yeah. Like The Howling, I think, is the only movie I can think of where she doesn't play a mom. I'm just picturing her taking a werewolf's temperature. Yep. It's like, yep. but I don't want to go to obedience school today. <laughs> but she's always so awesome at being a oh, mom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in this one, she, I mean, she does kind of get to fight back in this one. She gets the shotgun and she's, she's killing the critters. Um, I, I love the little E.T. reference in this movie too, with the E.T. Yeah. E. doll, with yep. her being in it. Yeah, which makes me wonder if, like, casting her was stunt casting, you know? 
Yeah. Like, it was intentional because she was the mom in E.T. Could be. And what great monsters the critters are. And so yeah. brilliant in their simplicity. They're so simple, yeah. I mean, they, they're so versatile. They can occupy any space on the set you need them to. Like, it's super easy to stick a guy behind a shelf with a hand puppet. There you go. <laughs> but I think my favorite part about them is their locomotion. Yep. Like, you need a bunch of critters to high-speed chase, you know, <laughs> in a high-speed chase with the actors running across the set, and they're just cover a basketball, some fun fur, and chuck that sucker across Roll the set. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're so ugly cute yes I love them more so in, in the second movie especially I always think of that restaurant scene it's just it's it's very reminiscent of like gremlins in oh, that yeah. scene like the one getting out of the fryer and with no fur on it and one getting his hair shaved off the top and well, what does he? What does he say? He like looks in the mirror and he says like "badass" or something. <laughs> it's very, very silly, but awesome. <clears throat> and it's funny. Obviously, this movie just is looked at as a Gremlins knockoff. But according to Stephen Herrick, the director, a lot of the pre-production had already been done in 1984 before Gremlins hit theaters, hmm. and that once it did come out, they actually did some rewrites to decrease the similarities between the two hmm. to try to avoid being said they were a copy and then everyone did anyway so maybe that's why in the second one they just like fuck it let's just go all in yeah. and make this funnier because yeah. the first one has only a couple of moments of funny mostly it's straight up a horror movie it is yeah and then the second, the second one is much cheesier and yeah and then by the time the third one comes it's like fuck it all bets are off this is a <laughs> this is a three stooges short with gerbils <laughs> so basically you're saying that gremlins is probably a ripoff of critters somewhere along the line no well, that's no, what i'm taking from this no no critters, because didn't. critters are awesome sure <laughs> gremlins did come out like theatrically before critters but they had been far enough along in the production of critters before gremlins came out that it was just more a, a case of convergent evolution rather than one came out and then the other was playing off the being a hit. Right. Especially if you believe Herrick that they then tried to redo some of what they had left of the movie to make it less similar. So. Yeah. Here's a neat little thing. Uh, the, uh, the guy who did the voices for the critters was a dude named Corey Burton. And rather than just make a bunch of random animal noises, he actually created a Krite language for himself. Oh, wow. And it actually has elements of French and Japanese in there. What? So it's not just a guy going blah, 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 into a microphone. Like, there's, <laughs> I mean, obviously, it's, it's nonsense to any of us, but to the guy doing it, just so he felt more in the characters or whatever, there is actual language involved. That is hardcore. Where's the crate dictionary? I mean, there's Klingon dictionaries. Yeah. Why is there a crate one? And I want to. I want to speak crate. Yeah. Critter. I want. I want to speak critter. <laughs> Crazy. It, would it be Criterion? Is that? The <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, uh. 
Jason, what do you got to say? It's pretty about good. Games? It's pretty good. It holds up. It's fun to me. I watched it again last night. And yeah. Brings back a lot of fun memories. It's one of the, you know, one of our friends, Ben Clayton. We used oh, to, yeah. when he lived in Keswick, I used to go over there and hang out all the time. And we used to, like, build haunted houses in his basement. And I just remember this is one that we brought home from the video store and watched it way late at night. And it was, I don't know, we just had a lot of fun. We were, like, imitating the critters and, like, <laughs> shit would fall off the shelves in the other room during it. It scared the fuck out of us. And <laughs> we, even to this day, we still, I don't know, we do this little mimic of the one that eats the dynamite or the thing and we had a little fun <laughs> yeah, with that I love that one he just yeah. eats the firecracker and it blows up and then he's fine for a second and he just almost looks over. happy <laughs> <laughs> and he's done yeah it brought back some good nostalgia from those days and if you're looking for something if you've got kids and they're just at the age where you're kind of thinking about getting them into horror stuff, like this is, should be right up to the top of the list of movies you start them off with. I mean, there's no graphic nudity or sex. There's just a little bit of that good old 80s gore, but it's all wrapped up in like funny and fast pace, solid script, good performances, decent yeah. character actors. Like, What kid's yeah. not going to... It's a PG-13. Yeah. I think Find there's the one... Cute. Yeah. There, there think there's is... There's one fuck... There I is. think the critters say, "Oh yeah," because yeah. <laughs> it's oh, what was it? Because she's got weapons. Yeah. So what? And then D. Wallace sticks the shotgun out the door and yeah. blasts one of them to pieces. <laughs> Fuck. So yeah. the fact that, and that's the problem. The the one major cuss word in the movie comes as the punchline to one of the best gags. <laughs> yeah. And is spoken by a scary, cute, foot-tall, furry alien. <laughs> so, so if your kid is in that stage of, like, they parrot stuff back a lot that they think are funny to the point that words lose all meaning, eh, you might want to think <laughs> twice. But. And I'd say Critters 2 is pretty okay, except for the... Half naked, uh, yeah, the uh, bounty hunter for mall, a while. Yeah. But even this so goddamn funny when she pulls the, pulls staple, the staple out of her out. chest. Yes. <laughs> awesome. So good. Smart. Yeah, because would we say that for those who haven't seen the movie, the bounty hunters? You know, you mentioned Terry; they're faceless, but they uh, they morph into. Yeah, they 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 can change their form. And so they take on the form, I'm assuming wherever planet they go to, they take on a, a, a familiar form so they can kind of blend in. Even though these characters don't blend at all, because they just go to bowling alleys and blow shit up, you know, whether there's critters there or not. But, uh, so yeah, so they always, they always do some fun stuff with the, uh, especially in part two, where they're uh, transforming into um, what they're looking at. One one of which is a uh, centerfold from a nudie magazine, and so she changes into the he changes into this naked woman, but still has the staple in the middle from where the staple in the magazine is. <laughs> Any fans of the third one here? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it's been too long since I've seen it. I was tr- gonna try to watch all four of them before the episode, but I didn't have time. 
Yeah, for uh, this wasn't. I don't have a deep connection with the Critters franchise, but for some reason, the third one, I, I think I saw more than any of the other ones growing up. I think it was on cable a lot more. I remember uh, yeah. back when my when I was a kid before we had a satellite dish. My grandma and grandpa got one. It was one of those giant six foot tall ones that you had to aim at different satellite uh, grids with a remote control, and you could see it move. Cool. I used to go over to their house and watch stuff on the Sci-Fi Channel all the time because they just lived right across the road from us. And uh, so I remember Critters Three being one of the things that I, Critters Three, Killdozer. Uh, yeah. There were a couple of Godzilla movies, mm. some other stuff. Um, Sinjinor, the Hidden. Oh, nice. But, yeah, but um, yeah. So I remember, and of course, Critters Three is the funniest one. So when you're, you know, nine or ten years old, that's just the greatest goddamn thing in the world when they raid the kitchen and they're the one eats all the beans and is farting in the big pile of flour <laughs> yes <laughs> it, the, the humor is so childish that it it doesn't hold up as well as i like i wish i i mean it's not bad i but i, I wish i could say it's as good as i remember it but the first two are definitely the best yeah and the fourth one is really slow like there's you could tell it how is. low of a even though it's weird. It was shot simultaneously with the third one, but they must have dumped all the money into the third one, or spent all the money for four on the spaceship stuff, because there's very little critter action in it. But Brad Dourif's yeah. really good. Yeah, yeah, he's he's really good. I feel like that happens a lot when you when you're shooting two movies simultaneously, and it always feels like the latter one is the one that suffers the most. Like like Sleepaway Camp two and three. Sleepaway Camp two is far superior to three. Oh my god! And it it felt, felt like three was just made with whatever table scraps were left from part two. <clears throat> well, two has such a great, like, dark sense of humor to it, and three is just, oh, it's so boring. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of other ones that did that. I'm sorry, go ahead. Better than I, I thought it was better the last time I watched it than uh, than I remember. Yeah, I had a friend who sold me on the the lawnmower kill, and it was just. It, it, it doesn't pay off and it crushed the whole thing for me the first time around when you find out at 15 that someone's going to get their head run over with a lawnmower that's a, that's a big deal yeah <laughs> I remember they did coverage of parts and this is when I knew that both those movies were shot back to back They uh, Fangoria did a, uh, a full article on part 2 in the magazine and one of the one of the pictures they had in there was the guy who had who um, had the firecrackers in his mouth that blew up and blew his face off, and that happens in part three. Right, which well, it sort of happens in part three. It got all cut out. Oh by yeah, the sensors. Yeah, they cut out the cool shot, but you know, if you wanted to see it, you could just look at that Fangoria article, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Going back to critters, I will say. Oh yeah. I as a kid, I never got caught by my parents cranking the cyclopean butter churn. Thank God. But yes, that's a euphemism. You can laugh. <laughs> oh, yeah. But they did have a knack for walking in on the most questionable part of any movie. I could, and usually it was mom, like walking by the TV room on the way to the the laundry, and she'd walk by, and it would be like the scene in Evil Dead Two where Ash is chopping his hand off with the chainsaw and screaming, "Who's laughing now?" or something like that. But Critters, I remember it was Dad walked by just as the is turning into Johnny Steele and it's 
Oh, yeah. That's a fairly. I mean, it's not gruesome because nobody's dying, but it's still it's very gooey and icky because oh, all that yeah. stuff the melts off. The skull, skull. melt. Yeah. yeah. So there's there's some red sticky stuff, even though it may or may not be supposed to be blood. It's just some kind of alien protoplasm goop. But he just looked around the corner of the door and like, I don't know if you should be watching this. I'm like, it's fine. It's nobody's dying. It's just a shapeshifter. And he's like, Yeah, I'm not buying that. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Is that all we have to say on Critters? I'm just so happy that Critters 3 is Leonardo DiCaprio's first movie credit. <laughs> yeah. Just any time they're talking about how big of a star he is, I'm just like, he uh-huh. was in Critters 3. <laughs> <laughs> just to bring it back down a little bit. That's you know? right. <laughs> That's right. Never forget your roots, Leo. Yeah. <laughs> These are some movies, you know, t- we're, we were talking about the TV series and what happened to Don Opper and that he kind of became more and more the creative force with each movie. These are something I would, like, there's not, you know, there's no really good Blu-rays with commentaries or documentaries. <laughs> there's no real, like, history of these movies. Yeah. There's not much out yeah, there for uh-oh. just a couple of, you know, I found out that thing about Corey Burton by just reading an interview with, I think, with Stephen Herrick that I found online, but like, that's the only information I could ever find about the... And so that, that seems like something there should be, yeah, that'd be awesome. if not a really great four disc Blu-ray box set, which would be ideal, at least like a little documentary or something about, because I'd love to know more about the production of these instead. Maybe there's just nothing to tell. Maybe they were all just really smooth sailing and everyone got along and there's no good stories. But yeah. Well, yeah. And the only, I usually only ever see the, the four disc DVD set. Like it's the same one and it's all I yeah. ever see for sale. So yeah, it'd be nice that's the to one have I something. Have. I've got, yeah. I've got, well, I got the DVDs when they first came out. So I have the four <laughs> set where each movie's on its own disc. So. Right, right. <clears throat> well, I think that even in the one where, like, you mean each movie's in its own case, the way yeah, you have. It's, yeah, it's, an, it's the one case. I have. It's all in one, one clamshell case, but each movie is on a separate disc inside. They're just all in a little spin. Yeah. Oh, okay. Which is a pain in the ass because in, inevitably the one you want to watch is at the bottom of the fucking pile. <laughs> oh, yeah, I hate that off. packaging. Yeah. Well, we didn't even mention M. Emmett Walsh being in this movie. Oh, yeah. In the first one. Yeah, the first one. And then they <laughs> drastically changed that actor in the second one. <laughs> and what's the kid's name in the first two? Um, the M.M. at Walsh is, because yeah, he plays the sheriff in the first one, right? And then the yeah. second one, it's played by the guy who was like the cranky old ex-cop guy from Northern Exposure. Yep. That's yeah. how I always remember that character. I can never remember that actor's name. He's just the guy from Northern Exposure. Man, that was a good show. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah. He's like sh- vigilante sheriff in the second one. Like, he's all fed up and he's hiding in his trailer until they need him, and then he comes and kicks some ass. Scott Scott Grimes, right? That's the kid's, the redhead, redhead kid's name from the first two movies, right? Uh, that's the actor. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. His name's Brad. Brad. Yeah. I'm trying to remember what else that kid's from, though. Um, Ginger Things? I don't know. Close. (laughs) 
<laughs> Is that like a cross between Ginger Snaps and Stranger Things? <laughs> God damn it, the Stranger Looks Things like team needs to fight a werewolf in the third season. That's I what I want to yeah. see now. <laughs> oh, you got to pull up. He's done a lot of TV and a lot of voice work and some cartoon stuff, it looks like. Wasn't he in um, ER for a while? He was in The Orville. Have you been watching that show? That's a new show. <coughs> no, but I mean... He was on ER, <coughs> yeah. <coughs> but I mean, check it out. Um, oh, yeah, 112 episodes, so I guess he was probably important. He was a regular <laughs> there for a while. It's just like the director just walked behind the camera, walked behind some of the main actors with a mop in every episode. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's had major parts in a lot of different TV shows, mostly. Not a, as many movies, but... Ah, that's also where I remember him from. Have you guys ever seen, uh, it's from 1989, a movie called Nightlife? Mm. I'm trying to remember the, um, the exact relationship, I believe. Well, let me just click on it. Okay, yeah, so Scott Grimes plays this character who works um, at his uncle's uh, mortuary, and he gets picked on by the by the local popular kid bullies or whatever, and those kids die, and <clears throat> they end up coming back to life as zombies and spend the rest of the movie just chasing them down. There's no rhyme or reason why these guys are zombies in this movie. They just come back as zombies to continue to torment Scott Grimes' character. But the favorite part for me of this movie... Well, first of all, some of the zombie makeup's pretty cool. I, I so I'd check it out for that. But the coolest part for me um, is that the the uncle that runs the the mortuary is played by John Aston. I'm a huge oh, nice. huge John Aston fan. So so basically, it's sometimes they come back for the hell of it. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much, yeah. But it's it's worth it. It's worth a it's a look a, a watch. It's uh very very forgotten film um i remember when fangoria did coverage on it and then it ended you know and i never saw saw it at all until it just got dumped the video so <clears throat> all right uh so yeah we should move on from critters then uh what should we talk about next uh tad why don't you pick i will go with Hmm. I'm gonna go straight into Sorority Babes and the Slime Ball Bolorama. Here we go. Oh my oh, God. This is the first time viewing for me. I've never even Same. heard of this movie. Um, it's pretty simple story. If well, not really, but um, simple to explain. And as I explain this, it's as dumb as it sounds. Okay. Um, We're genius. <laughs> group of three teenage boys are hanging out, drinking beers and being boys, watching horror movies. They uh, decide to sneak over to the local sorority to watch uh, Initiation. And um, they they get caught and they have, they're, they're told they have to go to the bowling alley with some of the girls to steal a trophy which turns out to be holding a little monster within it an imp if you will yeah impy. and they they release the imp in the bowling alley and all hell breaks loose so that's the basic premise of the story i'll tell you what guys i am fucking blown away like my mind cannot handle <laughs> the fact that you guys didn't like it 
And I liked it a lot. <laughs> I like I'm on I feel like I'm on the wrong side here. It's just I can't believe you guys didn't like this movie. It's so fun. <laughs> oh, I started watching it and I, I sorta of like right off the bat I was like, oh, I'm gonna hate this, but I couldn't hate it. I mean it's it's Oh, oh yeah, Ted's on it. We got him back. <laughs> I, I really I I don't hate it. Um I, I think do. <laughs> Which doesn't I make any sense to me, Brian. You're supposed to be the one who. Well, hold on, I want to hear Ted oh, say good. I, I want to hear Ted say good things before we get to Brian. Oh yeah, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, it's just uh, it's so perfectly dumb that you can't. I don't know. I <laughs> I think I it knew what it was and it didn't try to be anything else. So exactly, you yeah. know it. And when I was watching it, I'm like, I was trying to figure out right away. I was like, is this? I didn't bother looking or reading anything about it. I wanted to go in completely blind. And at first I was like, is this a is this a movie that was made and meant to look old or is it actually old? And I, I looked, I'm like, okay, it's actually old. And, uh, you know, I don't know. It, the characters are, the, the three main guys are, are so incredibly, you know, stereotypical and everything. But it's, I mean, it's, it is what it is. And, you know, if you can't sit back and laugh, I don't know. It, it's fun. It has Lena Quigley in it, of course. It has uh, has some, uh, you know, some fun gore, some stupid one-liners from an imp. It was it was fun. Yeah, it was fun. It's awesome, Brian. Brian, what <laughs> is happening? <laughs> I just can't even. It like can't be up at night. I can't believe it. I don't even know what's happening in this world. Can't me down. Okay, right, the whole... No, you think you know somebody, and then you don't like sorority bears? No, here's the thing. It's <laughs> made to be bad on purpose, kind of, sort of. And th- that was not not so much as, like, the Asylum movies are now. It's much more prevalent these days. But, like, the, the whole David Dakota, Jim Wynarski, Fred Olin Ray, like, cheesy... 80s sex horror comedy things. I cannot stand virtually any of those movies. Okay, that, the, that. the jokes are just agonizingly forced. <laughs> the there's nothing cool happens effects wise to hang on to. The the imp puppet in this is fucking terrible. <laughs> there there is there is one good thing about it, and that's George Buckflower as the janitor. He's awesome. Yes, that's what yeah. I was gonna say. That was my only <laughs> the only part I liked was him. <laughs> but it's here's the like David Dakota as a person, like I've heard him on some podcasts and stuff, and I could listen to that guy talk all day because he is like us. He is a big time exploitation and horror movie nerd and he you know has worked in the business for what 40 some years now so he's got so many great stories to tell and he's such a good storyteller he's so funny he's very articulate i i don't like his movies they're just good enough to suck if that makes sense they're they're not bad enough to be fun they're just competent enough to not have anything that you can book on to yeah, I don't know well I think I find it interesting um, that you lump all four of those guys together because now it makes more sense to me um, I, I feel my this whole this whole <laughs> journey with you Brian is, is me discovering where your level of, of good of good bad movies lies and and I can I can see what you're saying about those four guys 
but I'm the opposite. I, I love those four guys and and uh, the movies that they make, and and I can get into all that. But uh, you're talking about uh, Dave Dakota's uh, interviews on podcasts and stuff. I love when he talks about his porn films, and mm-hmm. anytime he talks about his porn films, he re- he refers to them as his romance films. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kind of like Tommy Wiseau calls the the sex scenes and their love scenes. If people ask him, so hey Tommy, tell us about the sex scenes. No, they are love scenes. They are okay. Don't worry about it. But and, and you know, Wynorski and like of those filmmakers, Fred Olin Ray is probably the one I like the most because he has he works a lot, you know, outside that mold a lot more. He does you know some straight horror stuff and he's been working in it longer so his really old stuff like Scalps and that. Like that's a cool movie. I like Scalps. But just this type of thing specifically. This type of USA up all night fodder where there are no risks taken. It's calculated to be just smutty enough to appeal to like a 13 year old boy but it's just like 80s scream queens with horrible fake boobs, so the smut doesn't appeal to me. The jokes, I mean, I, I understand that I tell a lot of not funny jokes. I'm not saying <laughs> I am I, I am not the gold standard by which comedy is judged by any means, but the humor is just, it feels so forced and, and lifeless. Like nobody really believes what they're saying is funny. I don't know. It, it's, it's all so very safe. It feels like a product more than something that someone really cared about, which is what it is. That's what those guys do. They're sausage factories. They just churn these things out. And but. yes, I agree with that. But I, I still always feel I've always felt like with those four guys in particular, like they, they were to, they've always been to me like the best of both sides of of that of that uh, of that coin. You know the. The manufacturer filmmaker who's just churning stuff out, and the artist filmmaker, because like, there's 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 I still feel like there's a lot of love and care by these guys put into these movies. They're just making them for like a, do- a buck twenty five and doing it in two nights. Yeah. So and then, but there, it also doesn't make any sense because like, I love Thanks Killing, which is virtually this exact same mold. Except it's as vulgar and fucked up and weird as as the material kind of calls for, or like something a little further back. Like maybe it's just the '80s that produce these types of movies I don't like. It's like say, oh, and I don't know, I've talked about this on here before, but Dracula, the Dirty Old Man, that movie is a fucking riot. Well, see, and it's now you're the getting... humor is no funnier than this. Yeah. <laughs> it's really not. It's just. See, so bargain basement, silly. Still trying to figure figure this out with you, because like, and I wonder too if it's like, because you mentioned two films that you know and that uh, obviously take more chances than what you're saying. Sorority Babes does, so I can go back and say like, and then you know, because like Sorority Babes, when I first saw online, you guys were like not liking this movie. I'm, I started freaking out. I'm like, oh, is it just me? Is it literally just me? Because I could see it being a total nostalgia thing for me because I grew up on the USA Up All Night movies and I fucking love them all. And I'll tell you what, like you talked about how Critters is a good gateway movie for horror for kids. 
I kind of feel like, well, the USA Up All Night version, anyway. I was going to say, so, this with all its full frontal nudity would certainly be a thing you'd want to show your 10-year-old child. The, I'm saying the, the edited version, the USA Up All Night version, um, it, uh, is, would be a gateway for um, cheesy bad cinema, you know? And yeah, I can, I can is, see that from a nostalgia standpoint. Because it is it, safe. They don't, because they don't cross any lines. I mean, yes, there's nudity. Yes, there's swearing. There's no gore. There's no real exploitation other than the nudity. There, you know? There's the fact that one of the main characters gets a wish from the imp, and that wish is to date rape one of the girls that's with them. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, that's pretty just, yucky. That's just the 80s, 80s comedies in general. <clears throat> Let's not even get into uh, the whole final third act of Revenge of the Nerds, where. <laughs> oh yeah. Anyway, it's but. Rapey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <coughs> so yeah, so um, maybe that has something to do with it for me. Like these these movies, the versions I saw anyway, were my gateway movies into um, you know, bad cheesy exploitation cinema. There's also a couple of samples from this movie used in the, a song called I'm With Stupid off the first Static X album, Wisconsin Death Trip. So, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I do like playing Spot the Sample when I watch these old movies. So, <laughs> I mean, That is a pretty thin branch to hang on to if we're talking about enjoying an entire movie, though. <laughs> I will say, I thought uh, of all the Linnea Quickly movies I've seen, I thought she was at her best in this movie. Right? What? Yes. Yeah, I thought she was like I bought her acting for for whatever reason. Uh, I I was just okay. I'm a huge Linnea Quigley fan. I love her dearly. She's even a friend of mine. But but you know, and you also know. But I know. I I've seen all of her movies. She's not the best actress, no. And that's putting it very kindly. But I put. Oh, go ahead. I put sorority bait. I just told Jason this. I think just last night or the other night um, that I put sorority babes as my in my top three Linnea Quigley performances. Um, yeah. And what did I say? It was like two or three. Like number one for me is her performance. I think the best acting she's ever done was in Savage Streets with Linda Blair. And, oh, I really want to see that movie. I've never seen that, but and you can I've joke heard good the things. And you could joke about the fact that, well, yeah, she was she, her acting was good in it because she was a she was a mute character, but she. <laughs> but, in but, spite of that, in spite, but because of that though, because there's because she her character gets raped in the movie, and that's the whole motivation for Linda Blair Linda Blair's revenge. Um, and so she's getting raped in this bathroom by all these guys, and she has to do it mute. She she can't scream out loud or anything, you know. You know she's got to portray portray that pain and that anguish, um, without uttering a scream or anything. So I thought that was an an amazing performance, to be perfectly honest. And I really really love her in Sorority Babes for several reasons. One, it's a tough chick character, and I have a thing for that. Yep. Um. She she doesn't get nude, nude in this one, and I appreciate it for that. And she doesn't die in this one, I appreciate it for that. And I think because of that too, it is the and and I and you know I know we're not talking about Citizen Kane or anything like that or whatever. I know it's <laughs> Sorority Babes and Slamball Ballarama, but she, she has 
out of any character she's ever played, the biggest arc she's ever had in in character development out of any of any other movie she's ever played. Because she's usually just she's just you know, hey, here's my boobs, and then hang me on antlers. You know, it's usually <laughs> kind of what happens with with Linnea in movies. Yeah, but this one, she's she's like this basically the second lead, and you know, and she just starts off as this like total total bitch, and then then ends up falling for the for the nerdy guy at the end. So, um, I appreciate it for that, and I think she's got. I personally think, even though this the jokes are stupid, but I think she's got some really funny moments. That scene with with them and Buck Flower, and every time she says anything, he hears it wrong. I I still chuckle at that, you know, um, and then I'm a big, especially in an ensemble movies. I'm a big I'm a big fan of watching every other character but the one who's talking, and because I want to I want to spot the actor who um, turns it off when the other people are talking and they're just yeah. then they're just in the background. But she's always doing something in this movie. Um, when other people are talking, you know whether you know whether you would would consider it good or bad, she's she's still she's still acting, she's still working. So, <clears throat> so yeah, I mean that's why you know this one's one of my favorite Linnea Quigley movies. And then third, obviously, is you know Trash from Turning Dead, but you know that, that's a gimme. So. Yeah. Now she's <laughs> also not in it much. No, and and you want to talk about like. You know, a lot of people say that's her best performance, but it's such a two-dimensional character. Like, there's nothing to that character. How could you perf- do a bad performance in that part? So. Right. And those scenes you're talking about with Buck Flower, like, he sells the shit out of that material. He's the only one in the movie that makes the jokes work to me. Because his stuff, I think, is all hilarious, just because of the way he delivers it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's yeah, really he's funny. Awesome. He's really funny in the movie, and like you, you got to appreciate it for it's one of probably the one of the biggest roles he's ever had. Yeah, he gets a, a chance to really shine in the movie. I mean, it, it's a bummer and, he doesn't make it all the way to the end, but yeah. I, I'm a sucker for the like misunderstanding humor, like this the stuff where she's saying one thing and he's hearing another because he's deaf. Like that yep. stuff just always makes me chuckle, but. <laughs> All right, so um, uh, Terry, you did not like this movie either. No. <laughs> well, and you're probably not gonna like me for saying this, but just because this is one of Linnea's best jobs at acting doesn't mean she's a good actor in this movie. <laughs> it just means it's one of her better performances. I just. I think that she is good, like, physically, and I think she's good at emoting with her face. I just can't stand how she delivers lines. Like, that's my big thing with her. Sometimes, so maybe that's why that mute performance was <laughs> so good. <laughs> Sorry. Sometimes, you, you know, even in Sorority Babes, I, I can admit there's, like, moments she put... It feels like she's working too hard to put emphasis on certain words. Yeah, And sure. that takes... And that to, that is taking um, importance over actually believing in the words that you're saying it's not just about yeah. it's not just about saying one word louder you know or whatever but uh yeah. I, i'm still saying that there's just some really great i think some great performance moments from her in this it's it's not a hundred percent solid performance but uh um she's got i just there's some great moments from her so did was there anything else you wanted to add yeah um, i mean just this movie in general i don't know like 
the guys that, like when you start off the movie with the the three college guys, they were all right. Like they were dumb, and it was a little silly, but. I was still in it. And then they go and they're peeping on the quote-unquote initiation, mm-hmm. which is not at all realistic, but it's fine. <laughs> um, first of all, what sorority only has three girls already initiated? Like, that's that's not, <laughs> that's not a sorority. It, that was one of the things that was driving me crazy. Well, that's why they were doing initiation. Right. Because they needed more members. They they wouldn't exist with only three people. But it's fine. Casting and money. I get it. Whatever. But (laughs) There's only so many bowling trophies, okay? (laughs) (laughs) But it's just... I don't know. I think that all of the exploitation right off the bat just kind of put me off. Like, them peeping in, and then they literally break and enter into this house so they can peep on the girls as they whack them on their scantily clad heinies and then cover them in whipped cream for no other reason so th- other than for them to go upstairs and get naked and wash it off like yeah. that's the whole point of that yeah and it just annoyed me <laughs> a whole bunch yeah. <laughs> but then like just the story like i don't know like i get okay there's actually like a plot line happening when they have to go to the bowling alley and get this trophy but then it just like the turn with the imp and the granting wishes was a little weird for me like i don't know just kind of out of the blue and not in a good way and i don't i don't know yeah the puppet is awful and I, I'm normally fairly forgiving with that kind of stuff, but I think I was just already in a bad mood up to that point that I was like, no, I'm, I'm done with this. What is happening? And also, I, I felt that the voice actor for the imp here we go came yes. off as a little racist, a little racist oh. maybe. Oh, okay. Yeah, Uncle Remus all the way. Yeah, that, it was pretty bad. I think you mean Uncle Impy. <laughs> it, it was pretty bad. Was, yeah, um, <laughs> I don't. It's just yeah, it's I, my I, cup of tea. I see what you're saying. I I guess I can't agree with that. That that actor's name who does the voice of the imp is Dookie Flyswatter. Well, at least that that's sure. that's his um that's his band name. But that's that's what <laughs> I know him as. I can't Definitely remember. Definitely a, a white dude though. Oh yeah, I looked at that just to double check. Oh yeah, but the <laughs> see thing if is, I needed to be more offended or not. Well. Then don't see Nightmare Sisters, where Dookie Flyswatter does a really bad Indian accent for like ten minutes at the very beginning of the movie. So like now I can I can, I can see where you're coming from with um, Impy being a racist portrayal because he definitely did a very racist portrayal in um, Nightmare Sisters. Yeah. Yeah. It really plays into kind of that whole black street hustler stereotype and not in a, not in a good way. Yeah, no, it's bad. Alright, well, Matt, what about you? Uh, I was not a fan. Um, like I said, I, I liked Linnea Quigley's performance uh, better than I expected, I would say. Um, I'm generally down for a monkey's paw kind of thing. Like I, I just like that story. But yeah, I, I did not like Uncle Impy, and just generally, I'm not in 
into the kind of the whole arrested, perverted sexuality teenager thing. It just gives me nowhere, you know, even though they're not really our heroes, uh, it, it just gives me, at least early in the movie, no one to, to latch on to. So, yeah, mm-hmm. so I was, I, I, I like the second half a little better than the first half, but yeah, I was very done with the characters uh, until we met, uh, until we met Spider. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Okay, so now it's just you and me, Jason. <laughs> Why don't you go I ahead? Just, oh, I just... It was a lot of fun. I just took it for 80s fun. and I mean, I think I've seen it before, but... Yeah. Okay. I, well, I, I love this movie. Well, I know you do. Yeah. I love it, love it, love it, love it. It's one of my faves. One of my favorite films. <clears throat> I understand it's like super low budget, super bad acting. Yes, the imp puppet is horrible. You know, there's like no gore in it. Um, you know, the we didn't even nobody even talked about the girl, the sorority girls turning into demon characters. Where it's literally Bride of Frankenstein. What the fuck? Well, yeah, one of them's a Bride of Frankenstein <laughs> that's still wearing tennis shoes, and the other what? one. Uh, and and khakis underneath the dress, by the way, and uh, and the other one, who has this like burnt, you know, demon face, but it's only just the face. Her hands and yeah. even her neck is normal. Um, you guys didn't even touch on that, but I love all of it. I love all of it. It's outrageous. It's it's silly. Um, it's fun. I love it for its. I love it for its limitations. I, and I love the mall setting. Any any horror movie that takes place in the mall, you know, is awesome. You know, um, you know. Granted, they. I don't think they used it to its full potential. We only really get a few shots outside of the bowling alley. Um, you know, just kind of the open corridor area around the fountains. And we only get a couple of those really, but uh, still. You know, still the atmosphere is there for me. Um, I still think, considering again that it's shot for pin, for, for mere pennies, I think it's still shot very well. Um, uh, <clears throat> you know, I mean, yeah. Granted, there's a lot of like master shots for dialogue, and you know, um, and no coverage, but <coughs> it's all those things that I find charming about it. Um, I love. I like. All, I like all the actors in it. And I like all the characters that, that they portrayed in it. Out of the demons guy. Yeah. The yeah. Um, oh, I'm trying to think of his character. I always forget his character's name in Night of the Demons. Dang yep. it. Yeah, but the the fat guy. Yeah. Yeah, he's from Night of the Demons, and you know, I I just love his like surfer dude. Um you know, accent that he's trying to do through the whole movie. <laughs> and, and our main guy, Calvin, um, you know, for those who don't know, that actor is the guy who played um, uh, Alice's brother in Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4. Uh, yeah. The only thing that... Only, my only complaint that I've ever had with any of the characters in this movie are are you know you got the three nerd characters you got the fat one and then you got you got the other two who both are wearing the same glasses almost have the exact same haircut style and both are wearing shorts to me that's that's bad like 
that's bad, oh, like, yeah. character design. You it know? was a little confusing at times, for sure. They were very exactly. similar. Exactly. That You just don't do that. So, so that... That part is always kind of has always kind of bothered me, but you know that's the, to me that's the small thing, the grand scale of just silly fun that this movie is, you know. And yeah, you turn the sorority girls into uh, demons. Why not one of them be the Bride of Frankenstein? You know, she was obsessed with her hair, so that makes sense. The other one's got <laughs> like burnt uh, um, cornflakes attached to her face. Well, yeah, she's the one that was concerned about her complexion through the first half of the movie. So, also her breakfast. Exactly. <laughs> and then the other one kind of gets turned into Elsa there, which fits into her character. So, so yeah. I don't know, man. My takeaway is from all this is you think you know somebody. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I got yeah, a better I, idea now. It's better, but man, now that I he's was blown away. He's like lumping all those. So, so okay, so <laughs> uh, this is like it, turning into a psychology it, session. It, sh- That's awesome. it shook this house to the foundation. Brian. I kind of wanted to start a whole separate podcast, Brian. Where it's just you and me, <laughs> and we both come to the table with like each episode. We come to the, come to the table with like five or six. You know, shitty movies that we think the other one would like, and then we try to figure out if the other one would like them or not. <laughs> that would be fun. <laughs> I like know, bad right? Movie, bad movie roulette. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I've done that with uh, my buddy Dave, who runs the Tomb of Anubis blog for Valentine's Day last year. We did what we called the Whitman Sampler, where we just picked like six movies and then numbered them and randomized them. And the other one picked a number and got assigned that movie. And like five of them were movies we thought were good and then one was just a fucking turd that we wanted to hurt the other one's feelings with <laughs> and, it wound up, and, it, and it wound up backfiring on him because i got his turd pick which was oasis of the zombies which i actually like nice <laughs> <laughs> um but uh, what you were saying like with the 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 four guys that you the four directors you had mentioned earlier that you know, yeah, they kind of all come from the same school, and a lot of their films, tonally are kind of you know, and budgetary are kind of the same. Um, but I was, but I, I'm shocked that you would still pick Fred Olin Ray over Jim Wynorski, because I feel like Jim has had films kind of outside of that expectation. Well, I think Fred has too. Fred probably more so than Jim, because I think Jim is. I mean, they're both pretty prolific. Fred more so, I think. He may have been doing it a little bit longer than Jim. Yeah. And Wynorski does a lot more of the softcore Skinamax porn stuff, too. Well, in the later, when, in the later yeah. half of his career, yeah. But, like, I mean, I really like Chopping Mall. But yeah, that's that what I was going to say. But that, to me, is the exception to the Wynorski rule, whereas you seem okay. to find a little more of that kind of stuff with, with Fred. Okay. All right. All right. <clears throat> cool. And they're all, like I said, they're just they're just competent enough. Like none of them are like the Ed Wood of their generation, you know what I mean? Where their movies are just sincere. <laughs> like they count awful. as movies. <laughs> they're like everything is is very calculated about them. There's you know, they they know what they're doing. They just don't necessarily give a shit that much all the time and that doesn't doesn't equal out to the same sense of fun to me another thing you had brought up i i, I want to 
kind of touch on a little bit. Actually, I would love for it to be just a whole giant Hey, don't, don't touch on my little thing. <laughs> <laughs> Tiny terrors on this episode. Um, we, you had talked about, like, uh, movies that are made intentionally bad. Mm. Um, I mean, I... I Where's that? I want to know where that line is because, like, I got to thinking about that not too long ago because the movies that I want to make, I don't want to make them intentionally. I don't want to make them intentionally bad. I want to do the best job that I can. But you want to make them fun. But those are the types of movies that I want to make. You know, the the sorority babes or the uh, you know the chopping malls or you know you know. Oasis of the Zombies, you know, like... Well, Oasis of the Zombies was just made by hacks under very little... T- well, not hacks, I shouldn't say, because it was started by Jess Franco and finished... Was that the one? No, no, it was Zombie Lake that uh, Franco started and then quit. Yeah. Made Sean yeah. really. I can't remember who directed Oasis of the Zombies. Off. Or maybe that, oh, I think Oasis of the Zombies was a Franco. I can't but, remember. So not so much a hack. Talk about someone who was just like, let's crank it out and make the next one. Yeah. But, but he well, just got bored really easily. Like, he was notorious for starting his next movie while they were still making the previous one. But Yeah, I just want to make... I want to make over-the-top, fun movies, B-movies, you know, no hidden message agendas, just like... I, just fun I, exploitation films, drive-in films, that kind of stuff, but still do yeah. the best job that I can. And, like, I don't think if they turn out... You know, I, so where okay. I just want to know where that line I, is because I like I feel like you're concerned now that you think I'm being critical of your filmmaking. No, 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 <laughs> and no, no. I'm not trying to shit on what you do. That's not the point. No, 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 no. Because no. but it's, what? Because like I got to thinking of this exact same topic. Like I just want to know where that line is. Just the other day, you know, everybody talks about how um, the Sharknado movies are shitty because oh, they're in, they're intentionally made to be bad. Yes, and then I'm that, like, is, that is like the shining example of it. Those movies are fucking unwatchable because they're trying too hard. And trauma movies are the same way to me. They're it's like a little trauma. kid who, yeah. when, like, if dad has friends over, and your little kid is like acting up and being a fucking asshole to get attention, because oh, there's cool adults <laughs> that I don't get to see all the time in the room, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna run around and and. You know, wave my wiener in the air and spit on the cat, and you know, that's to me what like Sharknado movies and trauma movies. It's a little kid just begging for attention and annoying the fuck out of me. It, it and I know like Fred and Jim and and David, they make these movies because they love this type of stuff. But it's just, and maybe it is just the '80s. Maybe that's where my line specifically is, because like I named two examples on either side of that decade that I love that really shouldn't be any better. So I think what it comes down to is you can't control an aesthetic reaction and who the fuck knows. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Brian, well, Brian, you and I have talked in the past about how it's kind of like in the eighties, you had to gather like the full crew and it took a full commitment to make a movie. So you couldn't just dash off, you know, the stupidest possible thing in, in, and in the smallest possible budget because it took at least some effort but now in the, in the digital age you know anybody with a you know a tiny camera can make something utterly and utterly stupid and in many ways it just comes down to a feeling of 
of care for some of these movies. Yeah, you, you can when you're watching a movie like this. A lot of times, you can just tell if the people making it love the genre and love what they're doing, or if they're just making a product. Yeah, and I I can this, agree with that. And Sorority Babes feels like a product to me, even though I know that Dave Dakota does love this stuff. This movie feels like a product, and that's where it falls flat to me. Okay. Okay. Well, so maybe there's my line. Maybe it's not so much made to be ma- made to be bad. Maybe I should say if a movie feels more like a product than something the people making it were actually interested in doing. Okay. Okay. Well, if we ever do that spinoff uh, show, that's definitely going to be one of our topics. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've just been really thinking about it a lot lately. I'm just like wondering where that line is because. Like because I want to make those type of movies, does that mean it's it's forced? You know, but not at all. Because if I mean that's that's the type of thing I write. I'm I'm not necessarily any damn good at it, but you know, it's, you you make the kind of art that you enjoy. Yeah. consuming. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. There's a anyway. degree of intent. There's a degree of intent to it as well. You know, who, if there's a difference between making a movie about something you think people are going to find interesting versus something that people are that says oh my gosh people are going to think this sounds stupid and see it to make fun of it like that's what the sharknado movies are all about well see and then i got to thinking like well what if the guy who makes the sharknado movies just really likes making these type of movies and likes being over the top with them and then i tried to watch sharknado 5 and i changed my mind (laughs) (laughs) okay we can we should move on we got more movies to talk about Ah, oh, sorority babes, the slime ball bolorama. Woo! What's next? What's next? Uh, let's see. Uh, Brian, why don't you pick one? Uh, okay, well, I'll, how about Ghoulies? Woo! Yeah. A, mo- a movie which gets much, much better in the second installment. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> so, Ghoulies starts out with a guy named Jonathan Graves. And he has inherited his uh, the family mansion because his dad has died under mysterious circumstances. We have seen that his dad died performing some kind of occult ritual, and it's super fucking distracting to me that his dad, Malcolm Graves, is played by Michael DeBar, who was MacGyver's arch nemesis, Murdoch. So that's all I can fucking think of him as every time I see him on screen in this movie. But anyway, um, so. As these stories always kind of work out, he and his girlfriend move into the old uh, family mansion, and his father's spirit kind of starts getting into his head, possessing him a little bit. And they throw a big party, kind of a housewarming thing, have a bunch of their doofy friends over to, you know, they can't really trash the place because it's already a ruin, but um, he decides he wants to take everyone down into the basement and perform a seance. And I, I do like that they there's a little detail in here where everyone gets bored because the seance doesn't work and they say oh come on let's go upstairs and have some more to drink and everyone leaves and he's like wait a minute I, I haven't performed the the, the end of the ritual or, I haven't yeah. closed the ritual or performed the banishing spell or whatever like fuck you let's go have a beer and of course as soon as they walk out of the basement the spell works and the ghoulies show up which are these little demonic slimy puppet creatures that uh, that are sort of the the familiars, I guess, of, of the wizard. And uh, 
so eventually the the ghoulies get out in and uh, manage to resurrect the corpse of Jonathan's father and he comes back in and and strangles somebody with his tongue and does some other weird shit before the groundskeeper just magically happens to be fucking Gandalf the Grey and comes in to save the day and vanquish Malcolm Graves except of course the ghoulies manage to get off the property um, in the second one they take up residence in a uh, in a, a carnival funhouse and people think they're just part of the ride and the second one has way more monster action because they realize wait nobody gives a shit about the stupid wizard stuff so let's just fucking leave that out and make a monster movie and it's so much more fun Yeah. plus it has a a higher budget for the effect, so you get some cool stop motion ghoulies, and you get a giant man in a suit ghoulie monster at the end. <laughs> and then the third one, ghoulies go to college. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, that's another one I fucking loved as a kid because it was an unrated movie, which my mom just assumed meant the same thing as G. <laughs> and so got to see this at 10 or 11 years old and just thought it was the height of comedy and it popped up I think they were all on Netflix streaming a couple of years ago and I watched or tried to watch Ghoulies 3 again I don't think I made it 20 minutes in before I gave up and turned it off because oh my god is it not funny at all <laughs> although it was Interesting to see Kane Hodder doing a uh, a rare comic turn as a as a college jock doing pratfalls down a flight of stairs yeah. on the campus. <laughs> but yeah, and there is a fourth one too, although it has fuck all to do with the other ones. And the Ghoulies are like a completely different set of creature suits worn by midgets. Yeah, I think it, it must have just been something that like somebody made this shitty monster movie. Nobody wanted it, and then Charles Band is like, "Hey, we'll call it Ghoulies Four. I'll give you ten bucks." And Ghoulies Four, <laughs> directed by Jim Moranowski. Oh, was it really? Yep. <laughs> I never saw it. Because here's the funny thing: even as a kid who, at this point, had only seen Ghoulies Three, because Ghoulies and Ghoulies Two never showed up at our video store for some reason. They only had three and four. So I went at three and loved it. And I remember seeing the other one sitting next to it, and like even at that young age. I was already becoming a movie snob. I was like, those aren't real ghoulies. Fuck that movie. Because you could see the monsters on the cover, and they were clearly not the right thing, you know. But uh, apparently Ghoulies was originally going to be made in 1983 under the title of Beasties, and Charles Band himself was going to direct it, not just be a producer, and Stan Winston was going to do the special effects. Whoa. Because they had worked together on Parasite, Demi Moore's first movie, which is a pretty yeah. cool flick. I don't know if you guys have seen that one, but that's oh, yeah. like early, early full moon. <coughs> that one's really cool. Um, but instead, John Carl Beekler made The Ghoulies, and it was directed by Luca Bercovici. Some Italian listener is going to send us an angry <laughs> Facebook message. You said that wrong, you fucking racist asshole. Stupid, ugly American. Anyway. But so thanks yeah. for listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ghoulies, the first one, is just okay. And you don't need to see it to get what's going on in the second one. So I'd almost say just skip the first one and go right to part two. Why didn't you tell me this like a week ago? Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of number two, uh, this is the movie, of course, I remember as the movie where the thing pops out of the toilet mm -hmm. uh, on mm -hmm. the box. And of course, the toilet uh, the, the toilet uh, scene is in number two, 
Um, no, there's a toilet me, scene in the first it, one too. Yeah, which very very think, brief. <laughs> but I but I grew up thinking that like before I saw it that that was like that's how they got all their all their victims. Never stopping to think that this would result in a movie with just multiple people ultimately ending up in the can, dying the same way, and nobody asking, like, like who's cleaning the toilet after this happens? Like, how are they? So in hindsight, maybe a movie where all characters don't die on the toilet was probably for the best. Ah, uh, hindsight. Yes. <laughs> also, even the tagline for the movie was, they'll get you in the end. <laughs> but then, but then in the third one, the toilet becomes like their mode of transportation. Like when, when uh, I can't remember how the, the incantation gets read for them to return. Is, is it Kevin McCarthy? I know from Invasion of the Body Snatchers is the dean of the college. Yeah, and I, maybe he's the one who has like the ghouly version of the Necronomicon or whatever. But somehow their spell gets read, and they like multiple it's in a comic come book out in the, the third toilet. One. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and there's yeah, and there's this big like, like ancient. It's got like scripture on it or whatever. Like, it lists like toilet in the third one. That's like hidden in the walls or some shit. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I watched it alone and sober, and that was probably my mistake. <laughs> but I would like to try Ghoulies Three again with alcohol and some company. <laughs> I still think Ghoulies Three is a lot of fun, and it's also the the first time they speak in it in the series too. Yeah, <laughs> that might have been <laughs> one of my hangups too. It's like I, I don't know that I want to hear them like talk in their stupid Brooklyn accents or whatever. Yeah, but I do agree. I think Part Two is is the best of the whole series with the whole carnival aspect I mean, of it. It's a great setting. Yep. Like I said, there's tons more monster action. Because the ghoulies and ghoulies... Like, the movie's called fucking ghoulies, and they're like a afterthought. <laughs> yeah, they are a little bit of an afterthought. But I don't I don't know. Like, I think the wizardy stuff, while it feels kind of disjointed from the little monsters, I don't... I still think it's fun. I mean, you got young Mariska Hargitay and yeah, yeah. Uh, other people that I don't know. <laughs> but, I don't know. It's very silly, but I definitely prefer the second. I feel like I've seen... I liked the third one, too, but it was pretty dumb. I think I, I watched that with a group, so that's why I thought it was fun. I don't know if I would stomach that one by myself. It also has Jack Nance, who is the lead in Eraserhead. Ah. One of my favorite movies. Ghoulies 3, I have it on this awesome 8-pack of... of <laughs> Said nobody ever. Yeah. <laughs> I have this awesome 8-pack. Eight 8-pack eight DVDs of, you know, 8 movies on 2 discs. You know that's high quality shit right there. But every almost every movie in this eight pack is just awesome. It's got Chopping Mall, Ghoulies Three, Chud Two, Bud the Chud. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh my God! Slaughter High, um, The Unholy, Nine Seven Six Evil Two. Um, this is just from memory, guys. He's. <laughs> um, uh, 
Shit, where were the other two? It doesn't matter what they are. I think the fact that Bud Chud 2, Bud the Chud is in this set ruins, like, <laughs> retroactively ruins all the other movies. It's like, oh. if, if you have one really gross thing that's a leftover in your fridge and the smell gets out and gets into all of your other food... <laughs> <laughs> I love Bud the Chud. Oh, class of uh, 1999. One where Pam Greer is a teacher and she's a robot. Wait, I thought that... Oh, that must be the second one where it's got uh, Cody from Step by Step. <laughs> That's the killer robot. Ah. <laughs> uh, nice. <sighs> uh. Well, that was an embarrassing thing to say. <laughs> step by Step. I used to watch Step by Step. <laughs> Tad, what do you think of Ghoulies? Uh, I don't know. It, um, it's never lived up to the cover for me. It was one of those movies that uh, I would always walk past when I was a kid at the video store, and it always had one of the most memorable, uh, you know, posters or, or VHS slip covers, and. It's it's not a horrible movie, but it's not one of my favorites. That poster caused some controversy back in the day too. Some some parents threw a fit about it because it was traumatizing their kids about going to the bathroom. See, Foy, you were right. <laughs> yeah, that that I I gotta concur with that. It, it's all like I remember the cover, and other than that, it could it's just a completely generic '80s small monster movie. I mean, it's blatantly obviously. These guys are just hand puppets, you know, but I like the designs of the Ghoulies a lot. And the fact that 1, 2, and 3, they use the same, same like, three or four Ghoulie creatures. But they rebuilt them each, like, they got better. Yeah, they got better, yeah. You know, more articulated, more, because the first one, they're essentially just hand puppets, and then the second one, you get all that badass stop motion. yeah. And then by the the third one, you get. I mean, even though I think that probably didn't have as much money as the second one, like they're they're a little more animatronic, a little more detailed. I think they were bigger because they're yeah. really tiny in the first one. They're about the same size as the critters. Yeah, and yeah, with like the only articulation you get really is the mouth, and that's because yeah. somebody somebody's working it as a hand puppet. Although look- covering them with all the KY jelly and shit does a lot to cover their inadequacies because, my God, the rat and the cat ones are the creepiest, ugliest fucking... Uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying, yeah. And doesn't, in the part two, it's been a while since, since I've watched part two, in part two, in like the third act, the bald-headed one like grows like seven feet tall or something. Yeah, that's what I was saying. There's like a full-size man in a suit one yeah. that they, they somehow have to defeat. I forget, because I think that one's killing the other... Or maybe they figure out a spell and they bring that one up to kill the little ones, because they're not—they're not on the same side. It's definitely like a monster versus monster thing, and it's been a couple of years. I was hoping to catch that one again before the, the podcast too, but I've seen it within the last couple of years, and that's definitely—they—they they sick the big one on the little ones or something. But then, of course, they're left with one giant ghoulie. They the humans have to figure out how to dispose of. <laughs> yeah, not a well thought out plan. No, no. No, it's kind of... It's like the 2014 Godzilla movie. Let them fight. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, Do you like... Oh. Oh. No, go ahead, I was, 
the cat one, do you even see it more than like once in this first one? Yeah, it's in there a couple of times. A couple of times? I guess I mostly just remember the green one and the rat one being the most prominent. And then the cat was just kind of there. Yeah, and there's there's another one too. There's like a bat one that makes like maybe one appearance and then shows up a lot more in the second one as well. And I think huh. there's a there's a new one in the second one too, kind of a big nosed frog looking thing. Oh uh, yeah. But there are multiple of the bald headed like fish man one. Yeah. Because that there's that <laughs> scene where Mariska Hargit that yeah, guy is like in the swamp. Drops Mariska. Oh, it's in it's in the pond, isn't it? Is well, it like a it's like a fountain or something? But it's fountain, all full of yeah. green crud and yeah. And he like drops Mariska Hargitay's bracelet in there and is trying to fish it out and like three or four of them jump on him and drag him under, yeah. Which that one scene, like I assume that was meant to convey that there's supposed to be just dozens of these things overrunning the grounds, but of course they only had one puppet of each one, so they could only show you three or four at a time. You're just supposed to assume that there are are dozens of each individual kind of ghoulie. But they made up... They made up for the dearth of ghoulie puppets by giving us midgets, grizzle, and greedy gut. Yeah, what? <laughs> that was... I've always thought that was, like, the weirdest part. Like, I was why? convinced that was Warwick Davis for the longest time, and I looked it up, and it's not. But that dude it's looks not. like Warwick Davis. <laughs> yeah, that's just, like, an odd addition. I mean... It's fine. I just... <laughs> I forget about it until I watch the movie again, and I'm like, oh, yeah. Here's this pointless piece of the plot line, but it's It's, fine. It's (laughs) such a mess, because... And then the second one, they realized, oh, nobody cares about, like, the shitty D&D LARPer crap. Let's just give them more monsters. Yeah, much more fun. Yeah, I didn't really like it very much. (laughs) I was trying to be... um, can't be too positive about it. It's okay. It's but, okay. Yeah. Say it. No, we it, can disagree. You know, it was, it's allowed. That's that's what makes it, was it okay. interesting. Mariska Hargitay. Yeah. Yeah. She looked good back in the day. She still looks pretty good. She sure. definitely got her dad's uh, aging well genes. <laughs> he Hargitay doesn't you know. Big weightlifter guy did a lot of peplum and uh, weird Italian stuff in the sixties. <laughs> Yeah, you have his posters on your wall, Mike. You should know that. I should. Yeah. <clears throat> what didn't What didn't work for you with Ghoulies? <sighs> Most of it. Just slow. I don't know. It was just. Uh, uh, um, how to articulate it? Yeah, I liked the main dude. I thought he was. Well, I thought he acted all right. And, I don't know, it just wasn't super interesting. I mean... Yeah. I probably... Well, I think... I think a lot of it is my predisposition to Charles Band. <laughs> Anything Charles Band, really? Because I just... I just... I don't know, it just doesn't... I have a hard time. I don't say anything Charles Band. Most things, Charles. Because like Ghoulies was during the Empire era, and yeah. I feel like Empire Pictures, the movies that came out of Empire Pictures, were so far superior to the full moon pictures. 
Because you want to talk about. I mean, I like the first some of those movies Master, that felt like about... they were a factory product. Yeah. Yeah, and that that's exactly what goes back to what we were talking about before. That the Empire movies felt like real movies, and the a lot of the Full Moon stuff was just like, no, nope, here's another one of these damn things. Yeah. Up here's Evil Bong Seventeen. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't know. I can't. I just didn't say anything. I haven't watched a single one. They're probably awesome. <laughs> They're probably is, not. Is, is there a movie where the ginger dead man, where the ginger dead man smokes the evil bong and gets the munchies and eats himself? There's definitely there's, a, there's a, a crossover. There's a verse. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, I get royalties on it, so yeah. all right. I'll get. I'll change. They'll change it just enough. Yeah. <laughs> And I watched this one after the gate, so like any, uh, I shouldn't have done that, because shouldn't have done what gave that great segue. Right. Well, that exactly. too. I was trying uh, to was do that. Yeah. <laughs> the gate. Those little creatures are fucking awesome. As yes, I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember all the movies on our list tonight. I think out of, I mean. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Just gonna say it. Yes, I love the critters, but the little demon monsters in the gate. I think are the coolest Holy looking shit. ones on on this list, and like effects wise, look the coolest uh, out of any of the movies on this list tonight. So yeah, this is my favorite out of the group, and it's been one of my favorites for a long time. This was actually surprisingly the first time I'd ever watched this one. And it was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I agree that... I mean, I don't know if I can say they're better than the Critters. Fuck no, because the Critters are the best. (laughs) What's cool? I mean, just the way that they're animated, like, you can tell that they put much more effort into it than any other movie on this list. Yeah, they're definitely far more than the Hand Puppet. Because, like, I'll even be so bold and put these guys up against Gremlins. Well, like you, they they weren't hand puppets. They were primarily people in suits. Exactly. They built they built giant sets, and then instead of like, if you're making a giant monster movie, you undercrank the cam, or is undercranking make it speed up, and overcranking, or the other way, or whatever. Yeah, you right. do the opposite of right. whatever you do to make a giant ponderous thing look slow, and they make them look more nimble, and they put them on these oversized sets and and there's a little bit of stop motion and some other stuff in there too but damn does that blend seamlessly like it yes. was only in the last probably the last time I watched this movie like a year or two ago that I realized like holy fuck that's because I remembered it always just thinking they were always stop motion mm-hmm. and then I watched it with the kids a couple of years ago and I was like holy shit <laughs> that right? is some of the best composite work I've ever fucking seen ever seen they're really good for real yeah it holds up. I can't believe it. Yeah, that's that's why. I, yeah, I love this movie. And, you know, and unlike any of the other creatures on on the slit, well, except for the critters, really. But you get to see these guys moving around from head to toe. Yeah. Because, like Brian said, these are guys in suits. Um, you know, acting against giant props to make them look like little creatures. I feel like they they employed more than just that effect. I felt like there was a little bit of everything. They they they. Oh, yeah. I feel like there was some moments of stop motion. Yeah, there um, definitely were. That's 
the scene where they're trying to drag the kid down into the hole, like that is a blend of like in the background there's the ones in suits and then you see the stop motion ones like gripping his pants and stuff and it's yeah they they blur it all together really well. And those little those little guys are creepy looking too. Yeah, pretty creepy. Like when the I liked when the the zombie guy from the wall he falls over and they he just bursts into several of those little creatures. Oh yeah, it's awesome. The effects in this movie are awesome. Probably the the one that shows the seams the most though is like the is the multi-armed snake demon creature that bursts out of the floor at the end. Like you know, some of that composite work isn't you know isn't as strong as the rest. But but to summarize this movie. Um, you know, uh, Stephen Dorff of all people. Little baby Dorff. Little baby Dorff. Uh, <clears throat> um, there's a probably the best performance he'll ever give, ever. <laughs> Even though he's done like 80 movies since then, it's still <laughs> probably what I think is the best that I've seen him do. So it's fine. He's awesome. Dorf on C- Satan. He's awesome in Cecil B. DeMented. Dorf on Satan. <laughs> <laughs> I just got that. <laughs> anyway, he so he's a kid, little kid in this movie, and um, the tree in the backyard um, was dug up, and it basically was a there's a hole heading straight to hell. And these little demon creatures come and cause havoc one weekend while the parents are gone. It's about sums it up, right? Yeah. Yep. All shit. All shit goes crazy dog dies but honestly the most unsettling thing about this whole movie is that the parents leave these children alone for three days (laughs) (laughs) like who the fuck does that hey she was 16 almost 16 almost (laughs) come on like even in the late 80s it still seemed like that bothered me for some reason I'm like what no way. I mean, it's not like she had a car like to go anywhere, even if she was old enough to drive. I don't know. See, I think I like this one so much uh, because I relate to it in a in a weird way. I have an older sister, and she would she would like on weekends. My parents would be like, "Oh yeah, you can watch Tad," and she'd be like, "Whatever." And me and my friends would just fuck things up and do stupid <laughs> shit, and then it would be like, "Well, it's her fault. She was supposed to be watching us." <laughs> and uh, and honestly, like n- not my parents, but I, I I have some friends that had some sort of shitty parents that would let that would like go away for a weekend and let like their fourteen or fifteen year old daughter babysit, and of course that just became like the party house where we'd all just yep. go and <laughs> and crash and watch movies we weren't supposed to watch and eat food we weren't supposed to eat, and I mean there was I mean they would. They would leave a car, and the kids knew where the keys were. They weren't legally old enough to drive, but we would take we would take their car. Oh yeah, and fireworks and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, it was. So I'm like watching this, and it's like, you know, yep. man, I want to go dig in the backyard. Like, I was, I, I would be on my bike. We'd go riding around with fireworks and dig holes and and you know do stupid shit. So it's like, yeah, this is you know, and, and listen to heavy metal music. Of course, it has. Everything I love in it. This is an odd... I didn't see it as a kid. I saw it years on. I, the first time I ever saw it was on Joe Bob Briggs' Monster Vision. So I guess I didn't have that nice. uh, that nostalgia tie to it. 
I do really like the relationship <laughs> between the brother and the sister. Yeah. And that it, they seem to actually have some development. You know, she's they used to be really close. She's kind of moving on, getting into that age yeah. where peer acceptance is a big deal. He's still trying to, you know, like, let's go build another rocket. Uh, thinking of rockets, Tad, when you said you played with fireworks, did you ever have to shoot them at a giant uh, hell beast? No, but I have I have some I have some good stories, but I'll save those for another time <laughs> for our we, firecracker episode. We we made some um, maybe a reanimation episode because we made some dead animals fly with with the <laughs> oh my god <laughs> pyrotechnics. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Even if this doesn't end up on an episode, I still need to hear these stories. Uh, yeah, just bo- think of bottle rockets and um, bird orifices, and that's oh, uh, it out. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, like just, one last I don't know if I ever had bottle rockets as a kid. <laughs> that just reminded me that the parents leaving them home for that long is not the most disturbing part. The most disturbing part is them lugging around the dog's corpse. Oh, oh yeah. 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 What the fuck? That just made me sad. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, this movie was not shy about dragging around that de- dead dog, was it? Oh, oh yeah. my God. <laughs> what fireworks are you <sighs> for a dog, Ted? <laughs> Never there mind. Was, Never mind. <laughs> no, there was... We, we would drew, draw a line somewhere, you know, it's like, you know... I don't know. Street animals, I guess, are right. okay, but the shitty animals that nobody likes, <laughs> right? The non-domesticated animals, got it. Right. I mean, we wouldn't kill any animals. We'd find them dead. But you know, we never. I don't think we would uh, mess with a dead dog. I would like to think, but <laughs> we drew the line. <laughs> Be too sad. Yeah, definitely. When I watch this, I'm like, I'm so glad that. Uh, I didn't make Nikki watch this with me because she would like probably either leave the room or cry or something. But and then, you know, it, it has a happy ending. So yeah, yeah most of the time, true. happy endings piss me off. But I was really glad when the dog came back at the end Fuck of this yeah. one. Yeah, best part of the yeah. whole movie. <laughs> but I will say, I- I'm going to do a good thing and a bad thing so I can get my RAM chip. <laughs> Mystery Science Theater aficionados out there, I <laughs> think it's really cool that this movie kind of inverts the uh, satanic heavy metal band thing and that instead of playing the record backwards or whatever to to bring out the evil (coughs) the song lyrics and the liner notes of the metal band's record uh, gives them the clues they need to defeat the evil which is interesting although (laughs) at this point in the 80s, there were real metal bands. It's just like, you know, what filmmakers think metal bands are like. It's cock rock. This is like Motley Crue shit. Never, like, Deathgasm is the only heavy metal horror movie I've ever seen that has actual fucking metal in it. And not this cheesy, like, wasp bullshit. The Sorcery Count and Stunt Rock? Ah, uh, that was like proto metal because that came out in the mid '70s. So that that was more of like a Led Zeppelin type of thing. Although I would go see a sorcery concert in a heartbeat. But yeah, I really um, just wanted to talk about Stunt Rock for a second. <laughs> that movie is, movie is awesome. <laughs> um, but then the thing that really bugged me and the, that keeps me from liking this movie, I think, as much as most people do, is they take out the the head of the Lovecraftian. 
pantheon of, of evil devil gods from beyond the stars by shooting it in the chest with a model rocket? Really? <clears throat> like, they build this thing up to be, like, the destroyer of worlds. <laughs> and it's, like, the destroyer of Stephen Dorff's living room. It's not... <laughs> 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 well, it wasn't just a rocket. It was a rocket that was... Um, Bonded by the love of siblings, okay? Yeah. A rekindling yeah. of, of a brother and sister who had fallen fallen, you know, apart from each other, but their um, their passion to take care of this monster is what took it out, okay? There was love in that rocket. And that's powerful you are stuff. Not selling me on that. Yeah, because they say something about like the light and love or something. No, I know that's the actual reason. It's just a stupid reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that brings me to my, to my biggest gripe about the movie. About halfway through, I, I got a whiff of something. It's like, I smell Reagan here. This movie was very family values to me. Like, mm -hmm. a lot of, like, you know, obviously, like we talked about, you know, with the, the parents being gone is kind of the, the catalyst for the whole thing. He continually wants to, to you know call his parents, reunite the family, but he won't. It's even got the two point three kids thing going on with the dog as kind of the the surrogate for the the disposable sibling, and yeah. uh, you know in the end, you know the the love and re and reaffirmation of family values. They even throw the Bible at the damn thing at one point. Uh, oh, so they I, do. Yeah, so in I the found hole. yeah. So I found the movie entertaining. Um, but yeah, it, it it reeked of family values stuck to me, and the family friend kid that hangs out all that the house all the time because his mom's dead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that kid's storyline was just really depressing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It I also felt so it, bad for him. Yeah, and unlike uh, the, the next movie we'll talk about, which I which I like a lot more in terms of tone, you know, we kind of get that '80s restoration feel, you know, just with the reaffirmation of the family, everything goes back to normal, and, and there's no, you know, normalcy is is reaffirmed, and that's just I'm, I'm a '70s guy, I'm into the apocalypse stuff, not the, not the family <laughs> values affirmation stuff. Cool. Did anyone else think the uh, the kind of the third act, the pot was kind of like Krampus. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, kind of. He gets he even gets the little token at the end that you know with the eye that he's supposed to like. Here's your here's your your take home prize for for all you for all you screwed up. See you later. <laughs> it's like the king predator handing Danny Glover that ancient pistol at the end. <laughs> <laughs> cool. I remember watching this, and when they um levitate him at the beginning and he like pulls the light out of the wall yeah i remember thinking like oh he's totally fucked like my parents would kill me yeah. <laughs> like we we did like i said I, I relate to this so much because like i remember being at a friend's house and his parents were gone so we were riding a scooter in the living room and he went through the drywall and it was like oh. we put a suitcase we, we put a suitcase in front of it like they would never move the suitcase <laughs> <No>. <laughs> That's one thing. This, like in Critters, at the end, like their house is destroyed and the aliens just put everything back, like nothing happened. But this movie, that house is fucked. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. it is not get fixed. I'm like, see, that's more realistic if they were invaded by aliens, because that's totally realistic. Yeah, but, that's kind yeah. of the thing that bugged me about Critters is that whole uh, we yeah, put the house back together put at the end. Back. 
it it saves it because the cat winds up in the mailbox. Yeah, that's really cute. that's the part that I really like about that. <laughs> With the flag up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Matt, what is the next movie we should talk about? Well, why don't we talk about It's Alive? Yeah, it's alive. It's alive. Yeah. So yeah, this is uh, yeah. So this is my favorite of the series. So, uh, this is uh, early Larry Cohen, uh, nineteen seventy four. Uh, it's about a uh, a new a family, the Davises, who are expecting a new new baby. So they send their son off to to with a friend, and then the baby is born uh, horribly deformed with with fangs and claws. Uh, murders everyone in the hospital gets in its way and takes off and they're setting off a, a panic to, to track the thing down uh, at first the dad is you know is obviously wants to distance himself from the thing um, the baby makes its way home slowly taking out a, a, a victim here and there um, big panic uh, eventually uh, the baby makes its way home the mom hides him in like, presumably him I guess I'm not sure if the gender is ever confirmed uh, in the basement, um, the dad goes after it, uh, ends up shooting it. Um, it takes off into the sewers where they pursue it with the, with police, uh, and eventually they the dad comes to accept the baby um, after he sees that it, it's just scared and will not harm him. Um, and then, spoiler in the end, the uh, baby the, they will not let the police will not let the baby go and ends up getting shot dead. Only to find out there's another baby just like it born in Seattle. Yeah. Like I said, yeah. So this one very different in tone uh, than from uh, the Gate. Uh, very much, uh, very much in the apocalyptic '70s realm of you know, we can't control that our world is changing. Um, either uh, the dad has to decide whether they're going to try to eradicate the evil or adjust to it but there is uh, uh, but of course with the baby the new baby there will be no return to normalcy uh, leading to a couple uh, in my opinion pretty good sequels yeah 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 this is like you said uh, Larry Coleman wrote and directed it um and it had been forever since I've seen this movie and uh I had, must have literally forgotten everything about this movie because one, I could have sworn you saw the baby a hell of a lot more than you actually get to see it in this movie. Like it's mostly in shadows or um, blurred out, or, or you know, or just maybe like the well, one eyeball or the side of its face or something. So but I could have sworn there was like whole full shots of this baby in the in the movie, but. Uh, <clears throat> uh, yeah, uh, you get a lot more monster baby in this sequels, and especially in the third one, where there's an entire island of these fucking things. That's yeah. just like we need somewhere to dump all the monster babies. Let's throw them here, and then you get like <laughs> full size adult ones, and Michael Moriarty being fucking weird like he always is. And see, and that's what I thought. Maybe I was getting it confused with part two because seriously, not since I was a kid. It's been that long since I've I've seen these. So. Um, so I was glad to get a chance to rewatch it. So, uh, Terry, what did you think of It's Alive? It was all right. Sort of middle of the road for me, I guess. I think, I mean, I don't know. 
thought it was a little slow, but not in a good way. Um, but I think really the most, what I thought was the most captivating was the dad, like, just, you know, him talking about selling it off to science and all that, like, yeah. the steps, the stuff that he goes through and being kind of a dick, but you also kind of side with him at a certain point. I don't know. It's like a weird line that you're, you know, it you is don't we- know what side to be on. And it is a weird line, and and <clears throat> but I, you get his, you understand his journey, right? Like. I mean, he's getting shit from all angles. He loses his job because of it. You know, reporters keep hounding him. Everybody looks at him like he's the bad guy. Like, he... He want Like, everybody's thinking that he wants this monster to live, and he's evil for wanting his, this monster to live. But he doesn't. Want, he wants the... He wants the baby dead. And just how quickly he is to turn... Turn that off and just be like, Yep, kill the thing, you know? Let's get rid of yeah. it. Yeah. I thought he acted his ass off in this movie too. Yeah. Oh yeah. I he was yeah, great. He did a good job. Him and the wife, because the wife, yeah. she takes a major spiral through this movie. Yeah. As you would. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can't imagine what postpartum is like. Not to mention if he had a <laughs> mutant baby that killed all the doctors in the room. <clears throat> During it. Jason, who'd you say the score was? Who did the score? Bernard Herman. Yes. Yeah, really good score. Great score. It, it's kind of, I kind of, I don't know. It felt like there was a bit of irony in the score because the, the music made it almost sound like everything is huge and big. It almost, almost, there's moments in the score that kind of reminded me of like Godzilla music, you know? Um, so like, everything's like big and huge, but the monster in this movie is just a little baby. Yeah. And, Terry, you talked about how it's like it's 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 slow, and yeah, it gets it's rather slow in parts. But if you go back and watch like all of Leonard Cohen, Larry Cohen's, um, Leonard Cohen, Larry Hallelujah, yeah, <laughs> all of his horror films that he wrote and directed, they kind of have that same pace where he comes up with these crazy crazy ideas for the for the monster of the film, whether it be mutant killer baby or you know a white blob that people eat or or a giant winged serpent and then the movie ends up being way more about the characters and not and hardly very little to do with the monsters right that's just always how he wrote yeah and this i will say this is not probably even in my top three top maybe even top five larry cohen movies I like it okay, but I like Q the Wing Serpent a lot more. I like the stuff a lot more. God Told Me To is really good. Yeah. Um, there's actually a documentary about him uh, coming. Yes. I think it's just now making the festival circuit, but it should be out this year on home video called King Cohen, The Wild World of Filmmaker Larry Cohen or something like that, and I cannot fucking wait to see that. Same here. Didn't the projection booth just do a big thing on they, it? They yeah, did. Yeah, they yep. did. Yeah. Yep. That was a good episode. And Larry said, you know, on, on the commentary in interviews, the idea he got from this was like babies when they cry, they're they're furious. They're it's just completely raw 
emotion. And he was curious, like, wanted to explore what would happen if a baby could actually act out on its impulses. And that's, you know, where the idea from this came from. But the thing it reminds me of is there is a, a creature in Japanese folklore called a kekai, which is the creepiest goddamn thing I have ever heard of in my entire life, and just thinking about it makes me want to look under my bed before I go to sleep. The idea behind this creature is uh, a woman who is pregnant and does not take care of herself well, so like say you eat shitty food or you don't exercise, or you smoke or drink, whatever. You're pregnant, you don't take care of yourself, you will have not... A, a miscarriage or a stillbirth but instead will give birth to this horrible glob of hair and flesh and teeth that will scuttle off out of the hospital and back to your house and hide itself somewhere in your house so that when you come home from the hospital and go to sleep it will come out and kill you for revenge mm. <laughs> that's because awesome. horrible, slimy little fetus monsters are like one of my... Ugh. Like, I can watch, you know, full-grown alien monsters and whatever eating people all day long, but horrible, <laughs> slimy, little, unformed baby things just... <laughs> and so that is like... I, I cannot think of anything creepier than that idea. So the the... The baby monster from It's Alive, obviously, it doesn't, you know, it's just a little rubber green, like, kind of Martian-looking baby thing, and it's not all that cool, but but that's, it's kind of the same, you know, it comes from the same kernel of an idea as the Kikai, so. I know I really enjoyed the, the not just the, the rubber baby, but, like, when there was a person playing the baby, that stuff I thought was pretty fucking creepy, especially in the tunnels and stuff. Oh yeah, when it's looking at you it. see its arms moving and shit. Yeah. Like, oh, that's cool. My only problem with the movie is I wasn't paying super attention in the first five minutes, <laughs> so then like shit was going down. Shit takes like, a turn fast. Then I'm like. Was there an explanation? Did I miss the explanation to why this baby, why this happened? And I'm like, so I spent way too much time trying to think no, what it might have been. No, no, it just yeah. happens. Yeah, no, I There's know, no but- explanation, and that is that is the horror of it. That is. Well, there, yeah. There's a couple. Well, there's a partial definition when they're when the dudes are hanging out in the like the expected dads are out in the waiting room. They're talking about you know lead and the lead in the water. Oh yeah. Uh, pollution. Um, I think yeah. So it's that's you know it's never made clear. That's exactly what's happening. Um, it's implied. I I, I kind of read it as just kind of a generational anxiety kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, just when the next generation comes and they're monstrous. You know, what are the what are the you know what are the what's the current generation going to do? Well, when uh, when did the yeah like the scare, that was in the fifties, right? Yeah. So, so, so the idea of chemically induced birth defects was already. Yeah so, that's, yeah, so that's de- yeah, that's definitely a, the kind of a throwback to that. Yeah, so when like when do they start talking about smog on the West Coast? I suppose that would have been you know around this time. 
but yeah, I like that. Part of the the cool thing, the one of the things I always like about horror in this era is kind of the monster as not like like the, the outcome, the product of of the sins of of people, like rather than the killer babies and like Rosemary's Baby, uh, Omen, Exorcist, you know, all the kind of the evil demon kids, you know, which are the product of. Uh, some ancient prophecy or some ex, some myth, you know, mystical force. Uh, in this one, it's just that society has got to the point where things are too screwed up, and it can no longer can. It, you know, we must the path must go must go another direction. Which is why I always like uh, I like that rather more than like the kind of mystical Satan explanation for the evil kids. Yep. What do yeah. you think, Mike? <clears throat> um, yeah, like I said, it had been so long since I'd seen it. How many times did it eventually like... take you? Well, that's a whole other story. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it took me four sittings, all right? But I've been sick, so I, know. I kept falling asleep. And then so I fast forward to the point where I last remembered seeing before I, when I started watching it the second time. So eventually watched it in four chunks, so. But uh, no, it just—it uh, didn't hold up to my mind's a memory of what the this movie was. But it had been so long, and again, I think I think uh, I'm blending the, my memory blends the first two movies together. Uh, not to say I didn't like it, but something I want to do because it's it's like Larry Cohen's movies that he's directed. I don't. Um, I don't go back and watch very very often. Like the, you know, I've I've probably seen the stuff the most out of out of all of his films. Um, so I kind of want to go back and watch them all because the thing that I'm I'm starting to realize about the stuff he has directed, at least in the horror films that he's directed, is that his editing is kind of wonky. That there's there's several. Um, jarring moments in the editing throughout this film and especially in the stuff stuff is to me is like an editing mess but uh where it just like things just jump as if we're if we're missing whole scenes um you know and like a good example of it in this movie is just how it goes from oh she's giving birth to this baby to all of a sudden everybody knows that it's a monster baby and and there's a manhunt to kill this monster baby. When the only people who have actually seen this monster baby are the people that are dead in the delivery room. And now everybody logically thinks that there is this monster baby that uh, that needs yeah. to be taken down. You know, yeah. there's like jumps in logic like that in both this and in the stuff. Yeah. And then there's like moments where it's just, just physically... Um, Baby's got from shot, wheels. From shot to shot. Well, I'm just saying. Oh. Back, to still talking about the editing. From shot to shot, it's jarring. Like the moment where he's talking to the pharmaceutical, or not, not pharmaceutical company, but the 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 people that want the the body of the baby to perform experiments on it, and they're talking poolside, and the conversation cuts to them in the living room, carrying on the conversation as if it didn't skip a beat, but they switched locations. You know, it just, and I understand, you know, uh, this isn't the only movie something like that has ever happened in, but it's a, such a jarring moment in the editing, considering especially that the dialogue is seamless in that conversation. 
and yet it jumps to a completely different location. And, and that's just, again, another small example for me on just how some of the editing of his films that he's directed anyway um, just, just seem a little wonky to me. Now I'm starting now, like, it always really bothered me in the stuff, and it bothers me a little bit here too, but I'm thinking, like, is this just his style? And if it is, I can accept it. Like, for me, the stuff always felt like, and again, it came from that era where horror movies were, you know, chopped up by the MPAA. Um, so it always felt like, to me, the stuff felt like a movie that was, like, the biggest victim of the MPAA. Because, like, it felt like there was stuff missing that we needed for this to be a coherent movie. So. Don't get me wrong, I still have stuff. <laughs> and I really like I, I like this movie a lot too <clears throat> yeah talking about that was kind of a weird moment like when like just anything with the police was just weird cause they're hunting a baby like, yeah right I'm just like what <laughs> the fuck what <laughs> I mean and they show up and they go to the first scene in the hospital and they're like well logically it has to be a baby cause the baby's the only thing that could have crawled through this hole yeah. What detective makes that jump? Like, what the fuck? Are, what? <laughs> I could come up with so a billion and one ideas <laughs> that were just just as ridiculous as a mutant baby. Like an animal yeah. snuck in through the window or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Like so the yeah the detective stuff was a little weird and almost it almost felt satirical in a way because it was kind of so ridiculous that and they I were think, hunting a baby. And I have always kind of felt that way about Larry about Larry Cohen's writing anyway, not just not just the stuff he's directed, that that yeah, I think you may be right. There may be a little bit of um, of uh, satire going on there as well. So, well, I, I explain I could explain that away a little bit because I assume like the mom, even though she didn't see the baby, I assume she was aware of what was happening because she's screaming like, "What is like? I don't like. What does my baby look like?" Like. At the, you know, so she obviously knew something, and that baby related had happened. Sure. Yeah, I think, there, I think there's an element of sat satire there. Um, yeah, because they're very like there's there's very little deliberation about whether we should just mow this baby down. Like <laughs> yeah, the, the, the medical community is all about it. The cops are all about it. Like it, it's like a party. There is a citywide manhunt for a baby. Yeah, <laughs> we're talking. Weird. We're talking like. 10 to 12 officers in, per scene carrying shotguns and like the biggest the biggest moment of, of, of um, satire I think pr uh, proves this theory is that moment where they burst into that backyard and they're all pointing guns at a normal baby yeah oh <laughs> uh, yeah well, I think from a, from a possible like a, a message standpoint it could kind of be a satire on just how swiftly you know the establishment moves to protect the order like this baby threatens order, so we will blow yeah. it down at any cost. We will blow down a regular baby if we have to, to to affirm yeah. the status quo. But yeah, it's, I think there's definitely a satirical element there. Oh yeah, there's yeah, there's definitely there's definitely some some me message there. You know, they had talked about one of the lines that the father has <clears throat> that I couldn't get out of my head through the rest of the movie when I would listen to him talk about the mutant baby or listen to the police talk about the mutant baby. But I can't remember who he was talking to. Maybe it was the cops in the beginning, when when he was hysterical and he just wanted he just wanted his baby before he realized that it is an evil monster. He's talking about like um, 
or maybe it was with the fathers and the other fathers in the delivery room, but talking about a baby born with Down syndrome, and you wouldn't you wouldn't dismiss that baby, you know. And so the whole time I'm thinking, is this whole is this like a whole like allegory for like you know people not being able to deal with you know not having the uh, perfect baby with ten fingers, ten toes, and it was in it was in his office, wasn't he? Because yeah, he has that conversation where he's like, "Well, it's you know, oh, oh yeah, we know this other boss. this this uh, we know this other couple, and they you know they have uh, I think did they actually use retarded? I think is the term. So I'm thinking yeah, right. Yeah, uh, and, yeah. And they're like, oh, and they, and they just have it, like you know, no big deal. Um, which makes me think of like, yeah, because there was a time when like if you like it was a deeply sh- a deeply shameful thing, and like you would send the child away. Uh, I'm thinking like in the story. Uh, has anyone read uh, Quitters Inc. by Stephen King? I have, yes. Yeah, you know they're like they keep threatening his his the kid the guy's child who's who's uh, I forget if they if they specify what disability he has, but yeah, he's like off at a you know a convent type school, um, and they don't ever see like they don't ever see the child because they don't they don't bring that into it when they. Have that segment in, in uh, Cat's Eye, do they? I forget. Like, I, I know that. they threaten his family, but I don't remember. I don't think they bother to go into the disability stuff. Yeah, because I know in the book, they're just like, we will be breaking your child, children's fingers, and he will have no idea why this is happening, because, like, a dad would go months without seeing his child or communicating with him. Yeah. So, yeah, so this is like, oh, yeah, they, 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 we know these people that get back to the back to it's a lie like yeah we, you know people we know this guy who has a retarded kid and he lives with him and everything it's no big deal yep who have we not heard much on this Ted have, have you spoke up about it's line? um no I haven't one of the um that's another one of these like ghoulies where I remember the poster so distinctly seeing the the VHS cover in the stores and I actually I remember buying it when I was probably in high school on DVD in like one of those five dollar bins at Walmart or something and for some reason in my mind when I remember buying it and I remember thinking it would be another like 80s uh, comedy horror sort of in the vein of ghoulies and critters and everything else and when I watched it, I was I was sort of pleasantly surprised that it wasn't. Um, like Terry said, it, it 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 is a bit slow for me too, but I totally dig the the '70s aesthetic of the movie. Like little things, like the opening credits. I love the uh, oh, you know yeah. plain the plain text over the black screen, and and it's, it just feels sort of scuzzy, and everybody's. Uh, everybody's uh the costuming everything about the 70s i don't know i i do enjoy it i love this i like the score but it's it does not uh i don't know it's it, it is a bit slow going and like you were saying with editing it's just it it makes you like if you're not sitting there fully watching it you look up and you're like did i did i miss something did i did they explain i mean i it's like i know i, I hadn't watched in a while but I've, i i know what happens but it's like did they, did they literally just jump right to that? Okay, I guess they did. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. you see the cover, and you, I guess they're just sort of like, well, you know what you're in for. So, I don't know. It's it's not a, a fantastic film by any means, but I do like that it's in in the in the um, 
grand scheme of this episode, I feel like this is the more, you know, obviously the more serious of the group. It doesn't have a whole lot of comedy to it, despite the fact that it is a weird demonoid baby with long fingernails and claws that we rarely see. But I, I, I don't love it, don't hate it. Um, yeah, it's not something I would recommend to friends like I, I would with The Gate or Critters, but... Yeah. Yeah. True that. Alright. Are, are we missing any movies? It's all five, right? That's all of them. Alright, so... Quick round table. Uh, uh, Jason, what... What other movies spring to mind, to your mind when we talk about Tiny Terrors? Son of a bitch. <laughs> I don't know that one. Oh, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, Terry, what about you? We'll come back to you. Um, I mean, I was, I mean, we already kind of talked about the other Critters movies, and I guess all, you know, some of the Puppet Master movies... AKA like a few of the first ones, but that's it. <laughs> but those are still pretty. They can be fun. Cool. Okay. Brian. Yeah, I was gonna bring up Puppet Masters. I watched the first one not that long ago, and then I watched the second one again just this weekend. I, the third one's story-wise is probably the best one of the bunch. Um, kind of the origins of the thing, but. I haven't seen all of them, obviously. There's like, what, 53 of them now, I think? I think so, <laughs> yeah. Because Charles Band just... Apparently, people must buy those fucking action figures, because I swear that's what Full Moon exists for now, is to make movies that are advertisements for toys. Yep. But I gotta say, you know, the those original couple of movies, the puppet designs are really cool. I especially yeah. like Torch. I think he's probably my favorite one of the the bullets for the teeth. That's just awesome. (laughs) (laughs) If we ever do any episode with the Puppet Master movies involved, we gotta have my friend Blake on because he's invested like probably (laughs) thousands of dollars into puppet replicas from these movies. He has he has a guy who like hand tailors the the little costumes for them and each part's individually sculpted and put together and it's absolutely madness it's it's like dude you could have just made like six puppet master movies for the amount of money you've spent on this. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and it's the weird thing is he's like yeah i don't even really you know the movies are, are okay they're not my favorites but you know i just like the puppet design so much that it's like I don't know. I don't know what his deal is, but it's like that's his thing, I guess. So you know, we endlessly tease him for his his puppet collection. But oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, there's. I, th- I think we've covered the ones that where the primary threat are small. I think we've covered like the real great ones. There's a few other. You know, there's the the Zuni fetish doll, obviously from uh, Trilogy of Terror. Yeah. There are the little imp creatures from Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. Um, yes, that one almost made lot, it on the list. Yeah, but. You know, a lot of the stuff stuff that I really love, like you know, Night of the Creeps, Slugs. The, you know, yeah. the, there's I guess Slugs would count because there's only little slugs in that. But you know, you could count. There's all kinds of killer bug movies, and then you get down a whole another uh, 
<laughs> thing, but there, there's crazy, crazy shit like the Seventh Curse, where there's a flying four-armed baby monster, but there's also other monsters. So, like, a lot of the stuff I can think of has a small thing, but then some big things, too, that are also monsters. So I, I think we troll, pretty well nailed, like, two. the main... Yeah. Would you consider Basket Case? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. I'm not sure if dolls count, but I'll throw in for oh, the, yeah. uh, the little dolls in the third part of Tales from the Hood, when uh, uh, Corbin Burnson uh, moves into the plantation as, like, the southern racist politician, and the little slave dolls start coming out of the walls and go after him. I'm, I was was a fan of that segment. For sure. And you just said dolls, and we were just talking about Puppet Master. How the fuck did nobody say dolls yet? <laughs> Stuart Gordon's dolls? Yeah. I, yeah. I, 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 that's probably one of my favorite as far as, like, killer doll movies go. Dolls is probably one of my favorites. A lot of, a lot of great stop motion in that one. Um, you know, I mean, I love the Puppet Masters, too, but what, what separates Puppet Master and Chucky... Um, you know, is that those aren't what normal dolls bought in the store look like. So you have a little bit of separation of the horror from your own reality with those movies. But dolls, those are just the the creepy-ass porcelain dolls that everybody fucking hates and I think are creepy anyway. So that makes that movie a little extra uneasy. But it's it's a fun Stuart Gordon romp. Um, I find that more of a fairy tale and more more than a horror film, but uh, yeah, I can but, see that. Yeah, but dolls is great. I, I love dolls. I guess thinking about Charles Band again too. The thing in Parasite, which we talked about during Ghoulies, that's pretty small. Oh man, you got that. You've got um, shrunken heads. Um, yeah. His obsession with small monsters even goes so far as did you ever see the creeps? The creeps. Where it's I don't think so. it's the Universal Monsters played by midgets. Oh, okay, yeah, I haven't seen it, but I know what you're talking about yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> then you got seed people, which is like little, yeah. like midgets in garbage bags pretending to be plant monsters. <laughs> yeah, he's got a he's got a fetish, man. Uh, you got de- demonic toys. Yeah. And there's there's one that I almost name checked, but I have a feeling it's going to be your insane's pick, so I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see how that turns out in a few minutes here. Um, a couple that I wanted to mention. They're so bad, though. They're just really bad. Like I almost put them on the list just to be an asshole, but like um, uh, there's um, uh, hobgoblins. Oh, okay, that was the one I was going to say that I thought was your insane's pick. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh my god, that movie sucks. Yeah, it does, but the Mystery Science Theater 3000 episode is That's genius. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there is a sequel. There is a sequel, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> and, um, but worse than Hobgoblins, I feel, and like the first time I ever realized that a movie can actually be bad is when I saw the munchies. Oh, fuck yeah. <coughs> yeah. Jason, you're the only one? So bad. Yeah. With Harvey Corman, though. Can't beat that. Ugh. Oh, another one you hate a lot. The uh, Spookies. Yeah, Spookies. Yeah. Hate it. Oh, there's little demon creatures in um, Rock and Roll Nightmare. 
hate it. Oh yeah. <laughs> Do the uh, dwarfs from Phantasm count? Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Because they're, I mean, they're intentionally, you know, squished down. Yep. <laughs> uh, anybody got any others before we uh, move on? Do it. Okay, so let's take a quick break, and when we come back, it'll be time for segments here on Attack of the Killer Podcast. Stay with us, we'll be right back! You've been listening to the Phantom Podcast Network on downrightcreepy.com. Follow us on iTunes and SoundCloud for more creepy shows. <laughs> It's time for segments here on Attack of the Killer Podcast. And starting off as we always do, it's time for Shoutouts! It's time for Shoutouts! 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 Alright, we just asked what your favorite horror movie with Tiny Terrors, Little Monsters are. And we got some responses. Up first, Mike Reeb. Poster extraordinaire. Yeah. Says Critters. Hells to the yeah. Dustin Kretzinger says Critters and Arachnophobia. Okay, yeah. yeah spiders. Critters. Gross. Yeah. Uh, Teresa Clark says Critters, LOL. Tim Lennerer says, Here's two for you. And then we got a paragraph, you know, because <laughs> Tim's pretty wordy. So. <laughs> he says, First, the Soul Dolls in Tales from the Hood. A phenomenal piece of work from the Chiota Brothers that blend in perfectly with real-life footage in their segment. Tales from the Hood? Yeah? No? Yeah, got proud of um, Second, the Wiener Dogs in dire rat costumes in Deadly Eyes. <laughs> <laughs> They're amazing. Oh, awesome. They're amazing, but not the way the director <coughs> intended. <clears throat> The director, by the way, also made Enter the Dragon and uh, Jim Cotto. Wiener dogs in dire rat costumes. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. Up next, we got John Claude Campbell Morea. Morea. Says the parasites in Shivers, the ants in Phase four, 6, the birds. It's Phase 4. I know, but they put the they put the I after the V. Oh. I know. Um, the birds, the clown doll and poltergeist, face huggers and alien, mm-hmm. aliens, etc., and ticks in real life. <laughs> Read. Jack Christensen says a formative movie for my childhood was The Gate. With those little demons that come out of the home in the backyard, I'm also a big fan of the whole Critters franchise, but especially parts two and three. Heck yeah. Word. Up next we got Andrew Moeller says Puppet Master, Slither, Ghoulies, and Gremlins. Nick Leadham says Gremlins, Night of the Creeps, Belial from Basket Case, if... 
One Tiny Terror Counts, uh, The Roaches and Creep Show, and he said Army of Darkness. <laughs> Little Ash. Little Ash Counts, right? <laughs> Little Creep. Oh, we got Ann Hogan says The Cabin in the Woods. A lot of weird shit in there. Yeah, there's probably small creatures in there somewhere. Somewhere, yeah. And lastly on Facebook, Sean D. Wallace says Puppet Master, 1989. Woo! Over on the Twitter, we didn't really have a comment, but when I posted that I was watching Sorority Babes and Slimeball Bolorama, Matt Pike uh, at Quad City Hawkeye says, Remember seeing this for the first time on USA Up! All night when I was in junior high, classic flick. Yeah, yeah, and I said, it is. Yeah. I said, saw so many good movies on there. He says, Yep, up all night. Commander USA, Groovy's movies, and Joe Bob Briggs introduced me to a lot of great stuff. Miss those days. Me too. I think we all agree with you, Matt Pike. Um, that's all there was on Twitter. And remember, uh, if you have any comments, uh, you can always call in and leave a voicemail, and we'll play your voicemail on the show. You can call 415 9568 or 415-95-AOTKP to leave your comment. And that's shout-outs. But really, that's, uh, everyone's glad that that's over with because they, they've been really just waiting for the, the cool segment of the show. The one all the kids are waiting for. That's Insane's Picks! <laughs> Okay, so, yes, my Insane's pick, unfortunately, is not Hobgoblins. Oh. But it is a movie that did get mentioned during the show, um, towards the top of the show. Uh, keeping with the theme of our episode, this Insane's picks will be short and sweet. Well, maybe not so sweet. Uh, but what do you get when you mix blood-sucking freaks with gruesome twosome and, and leftover uh, close-up penetration shots... From they call her one eye, <laughs> with a mu- with musical numbers thrown into the mix. Well, you get 1972's masterpiece, The Sinful Dwarf. Yeah, masterpiece. Great. Really, <laughs> directed by Gerardo uh, Fuller, who um, was credited as uh, Vidal Rasky. Um, it stars Anne Sparrow as Mary the wife, Tony Ides as Peter the husband, Clara Keller as Lilla, Lilla Lash, and Torben Billy as Olaf the Dwarf. The movie opens with an apparently grown woman in pigtails playing hopscotch when Olaf approaches with a, with a toy dog on a leash. The woman is fascinated with the toy, and Olaf pulls on the leash, luring the woman to his creepy rundown house where he lives with his mother, Lilla. She, she follows him all the way up into the attic, all because of this toy. And then while she is playing with the toy, he hits her over the head with his cane until she is out cold. Now this is a grown woman, um, and she will now be the newest naked sex slave that Olaf and his demented drunk mother will keep in the attic. Now my question is, why is this full-grown woman 
playing hopscotch, and then so easily persuaded by a toy dog. Is she supposed to be playing a little girl? Clearly, she's not a little girl, but her performance to me says otherwise, which makes this movie even sleazier and grosser um, than I think it uh, was intended to be. Although, this movie is pretty sleazy and gross. The story revolves, revolves around Peter and his wife, Mary, who rents a room uh, from Olaf and his crazy drunk mother, while Peter goes out and he tries to find a job... Uh, so they can get on their feet. And while he goes uh, off every day to try to find a job, Mary is left alone with no money and nothing to do but hang out in this creepy, dilapidated room. Uh, the mother and Olaf keep their victims subdued by continually giving them heroin that they get from their local drug supplier known only as Santa Claus, who uses his toy store known as Santa's Workshop as a front to smuggle drugs with inside the toys. Now eventually, Peter can't seem to find a job, so last desperate attempt, he ends up getting a job at Santa's workshop, uh, delivering toys for Santa Claus, but he is unaware that the toys are that he's delivering are filled with, with uh, heroin. So <clears throat> Santa sends Peter overseas to make a delivery, leaving poor Mary all alone, and she gets kind of snoopy. And finds all the naked, drugged-out women in the attic. So Olaf and, her, and his crazy mother catch her and make her the newest addition to their sex trade ring. And it, so, as far as the movie goes, of this type from the 70s, it's not as nasty as other ones I can think of from the same time period. There's no gore, but there's lots of nudity and even triple-X moments within the film, which... Like I said earlier, it it just seems like it's it's just like in They Call Her One Eye, where it's porn shots that are poorly inserted into the film. <clears throat> However, this is the best Denmark exploitation movie from the 70s about a dwarf who kidnaps women as sex slaves I've ever seen. All the performances are way over the top, and for me, the best... Is what's worth it the most is seeing Lilla and her drunk, her and her friend get drunk, and sing songs while Orloff tortures the girls upstairs. So, if you got a, you've got a strong constitution, I would check it out. If you're into uh, weirdo dwarfs beating on naked women, I guess check it out. And that's 1972's The Sinful Dwarf. I had for the longest time I had just the DVD of the straight X-rated cut, and then Severin yeah. put out the Blu-ray with both. So I've yeah. I've actually double dipped on the Sinful Dwarf, <laughs> and I offered a friend of mine from B-Fest my old DVD copy of just the straight X-rated cut, and his girlfriend threatened to move out if he accepted it. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> oh, yeah, that funny. movie is like. You and I, we like some grimy things. That movie is real close to the top of the heap. It is fucking yucky. Yeah, it's it's pretty yucky, but I don't know. I always, I Made always... so much more yucky for the fact that Torben Billow is also a children's television host. Yes. During the time of making <sighs> this movie, too, he was a t- children's television host. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point, but... 
I don't know. There's something always about, like, um, they call her one eye that I always thought, to me, that was always the top of the heap of sleaze. See, and I've never seen the X-rated cut of that, but I don't think it adds a great deal of footage. There's quite yeah. a bit that goes into the X-rated version of The Sinful Dwarf. And, the like, movies like these, when they put those hardcore scenes in them, like, generally hardcore scenes are meant to be titillating. You're supposed to get off on them. Yeah. I would not want to meet the person who would get off, uh, like, in the context of what the hardcore scenes are in The Sinful Dwarf. Oh, like, yeah. If you, if you find that erotic, you need to be locked up. <laughs> yeah, because this, this, these, these poor women that are just, like, all strung out on heroin, you know, getting raped or eaten out or whatever you want to call it, um, on these, like, nasty-ass, obviously flea-infested mattresses in this in this, like room where there's holes in the wall and it's just gross it's just gross well and then you know then there's the whole like what Olaf does to Mary when they first uh, chain her up in the in the attic but uh, am I wrong about that opening scene like is that woman supposed to be playing a little girl I think so yes I'm pretty sure that all the women in the attic, except for the wife, obviously, are are meant to be meant to be children. Probably under eight. Yeah, like Ugh. not not maybe like like eight or nine year old children, but yeah, they're supposed to be pretty like underage, definitely. Ugh. Which just adds a whole other skeezy level of disgustingness. Yeah, that's one of those movies I like to spring on people who aren't expecting. Like, hey, you want to watch something fucked up? And like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the Saw movies. I'm I'm tough. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> I I need to get that Severin Blu-ray though. I I, I really want to get that. I was doing some research on this movie last night online for this episode, and I had found on YouTube it, all it said. the The title of it was. Severin controversy and I'm like oh what is this and it's this guy in glasses claiming to be the head of Severin films um, and uh, interviewing this guy who wrote a letter to Severin um, telling him that they should not release the sinful dwarf and they're just bad people for releasing it and it's this interview and like I think it's they probably are and that's why I love them <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's fake it can't it really comes off as as fake if it's sincere then I don't know but um but I have I I thought it, I had a feeling it was something that was made for the blu-ray is that on there at all uh, I, yeah, I I don't have it right in front of me it's possible okay, okay. oh man Sinful Dwarf. Jason, you want to go watch that tonight? Uh, I got things to do. Okay. <laughs> well, hey, if if you need a good double feature, I can uh, send you a copy of Water Power. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I still need to see that, but I don't need to see that. <laughs> but I want to see that. But I don't want to see that. <laughs> All right, so that's it for this episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Um, just in time too. I, th- I feel my voice is going. I'm losing it. Losing it. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. Um, and thank you out there for donating to our Patreon. Uh, helps keep the show going. We really appreciate it. Uh, and if you want to also donate, uh, patreon.com backslash AOTKP. 
I want to thank the crew for being on. Uh, always, always a highlight of my week to get to sit down and talk to you guys about horror movies. Um, just wish we could do it face to face. So, but uh, until next time, uh, you know, just watch out for those uh, little tiny terrors nipping at your toes. Bye bye. Oh no! Could this be the end of? <laughs> what? <laughs>